If you're like me and you're interested in politics and you're fascinated by history, you are going to love this episode. Now, if you hate both of those things, you're still probably going to love this episode. It was great. I, I can't say how much I enjoyed it. It was like a history lesson and a political commentary podcast on the state of the world. It was just great. I really enjoyed our guest. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. I have to do a little plug. This television series from the 70s, The World at War, came up and our guest heavily recommended it. And I'm checking it out actually now as I'm recording this. I'm 15 minutes in and it has me. Hook, line, and sinker. It is great. I mean, if the next, I think it's a 50 minute, 55 minute episode, maybe. So if the next 40 minutes, if the next however many episodes, I believe he said there's a lot, are as good as the first 15 minutes, I'm in. The graphics are a little dated. You have to bear with it, as well as the animations. It's an old show. I think the first episode came out in the 70s. And the footage is obviously from the war. But it's incredible. I mean, it is really well put together. It's kind of freaking me out right now as I'm, again, 15 minutes in. And they're talking about, you know, the economic strife that really paved the ground for Hitler's rise. And I'm looking around where we are today and seeing the, the economic strife we're experiencing. And it's not to compare the two, because everybody does that. It just freaks me out. You realize that when people are down and out, that's when they're most willing to, to reach out for any semblance of hope and do whatever that entails to achieve that. When, when somebody comes along and says, I can save you, I can help you. It's dangerous. It's scary. It's a great, it, it seems like it's going to be a great series. I'm really excited to watch it. I had to finish this intro. That's why I paused only 15 minutes in and it was getting to me. So I had to speak on it a little bit. But my monologue there aside, our guest is great. I know I say that a lot. I'm going to work on saying something different. So you guys will hopefully believe it when I say it. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys like it. I'm going to let our guest take over now, so please give it up for Eric Kirk. I was uh, really excited to talk to you when I found your show there, The Redwood Walk. Uh Uh-huh. Have you been doing that for some time? Well, I've been doing that show for a couple of years now, but I've actually been doing a uh, radio talk show on Cape Mud, All Things Reconsidered, for about 22 years now. So, 22 uh, years? Wow. Yeah. yeah, uh, Yes, I've long passed the statute of limitations for NPR to uh, sue me for, I mean, it's satire, but, you know, anyways, uh, for that. But, um, yeah, I've, I've been doing radio for a little while, Vol- you know, fun radio. So how did you get into the Redwood Walk? Is uh, that Redwood just kind of a spinoff? Um, well, I, I, I used, when KHSU um, was what it used to be, I got invited to do Thursday night talk there. I had a once a month Thursday night talk um, on, on that show. And um, and then Matt uh, invited me over to Access Humble to, uh, well, I actually started out somebody. I'm uh, sorry. Could you just try to keep that like a fist away? You can pull sure. it, do whatever you got to do sure. for it. 
Yeah. At first, I was invited to their little station over in, in Arcata to do radio shows. And then Matt said, why don't you come and do it on video, too? And so um started out um, with uh, with uh, another partner. But then later, it was Dave and I um, became the, the regulars. And um, it just evolved. It was, uh, But Matt and I knew each other from KHSU. Matt Knight. Yeah, Matt okay. Knight, right. Yeah. yeah. And so it started over at Access Humboldt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So. Did you have any? Did he kind of persuade you to start it there? Or how did that work? Oh out? well, no. I was I was working with a couple of people on the radio thing at, at Arcata, and then he he was listening to it, and he said, "Why don't you do this on, on video too?" And so we actually. We're just getting into the pandemic when it started. So this was 2020. So I've actually never actually been into their studio for a production. We've been doing everything um, by Skype so far. Um, but I do want to get in and do a sit down like this one. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that that they were all they looked like it was Zoom or Skype. One yeah, of those two. yeah, and well, and it works that way because you know I get off work, Dave gets off work, and it's it's worked that way. But I want to get in there, especially since occasionally we'll have a third person guest or something like that. And you know, is do... Dave local? Oh yeah, Dave, oh, okay. Dave also works with Access Humboldt and also has a KMUD show. Oh wow, so, yeah. oh small world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that how you two met? Was through KMUD? No, no, we met uh, one time because I had um, uh, when I had my previous partner who works for Lost Coast. He's the DJ that. Um, anyways, uh, he uh, he had to stop because he went full time managing the station um, live, not live one hundred five. That's San Francisco station, uh, the point one hundred three, and um, so he had to stop. And um, so Dave came on. He had periodically filled in, and he just became the regular. So that's how I met him. But he's I, I've seen him around a lot and we just got to know each other even better and we get called in to do political um commentary at uh, kmud like election night we're part of the pantheon that comes in and talks you know pretends like we're like cnn's talking heads or something yeah you guys have a good dynamic going to you it's fun yeah how what was the desire to go politics well, that's what I've always done. Um, the, the, it, it all started way, way back um, when I moved up here I, um, in the late '90s. I um, was I was working for an attorney. I just got out of law school, and his name was Les Sher. He's passed away now, um, but he um, he was one of the first hippie attorneys to come with the Back to the Land movement. Um, I sent out resumes and got a job, landed a job up here. And, um, for one thing, I knew where Garberville was. That was a big deal. and knew what I was getting into. And, um, he would, he was always invited into KMUD to every election to talk about the, um, ballot propositions, but he didn't really like it. And so one time he said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. Why don't you go in and do that? So I went in and did, and I loved it. And, um, and so I just kept doing it and I, I got into it so much that they just started calling me because instead I was, of him. I was right, right instead of him. Cause I would get into it. I get into the pros and cons. Yeah. He would just sort of like, this is how you should vote, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I would like try to say, well, all right, this is how I'm voting, but you might, but if you, you know, want to consider this side of it, you, you would probably want to vote the other way. So, um, so they got, and then eventually the uh, programmer, Michael Jacinto, who, 
unfortunately recently passed away, um, was uh, pro the, he was the program director said, you know, would you be interested in doing a talk show? You know? And so, um, I said, well, okay, that sounds like fun. I was really nervous at the time, you know, and just, um, and so it was, I think about January, February of, uh, 2000, the first, uh, they said, what do you want to call it? I, I, as a joke, I threw out, how about all things reconsidered? Because I wanted my theme to be, um, kind of creative thinking. One of the things I do is I, I try to challenge people. Uh, I, I try to have people uh, come on who are like uh, antithetical to their their stated belief system. For instance, I would have a dyed-in-the-wool socialist who is extremely not just critical of cuba but was con condemned castro but he you know you but he he'd be more socialist than anybody else but he just absolutely does not like stalin what he would call stalinist regimes uh he believes in democracy too right so or you know an environmentalist who supports nuclear power which it turns out there's a whole generation uh, that are looking at it and saying, look, we got, we got climate change, uh, but, and take a look at the new technology. It's not what it used to be, you know? So I, I try to get people who sort of, um, think so so it's all things reconsidered try to get people to rethink their basic assumptions i you know and because the very first show i had was about um the second amendment and gun control and i learned that that's a know, hot issue well yeah but but the, the interesting thing down there is you have all these hippies who are left wing in so many different ways but not really on that issue uh, they all, a lot of them own guns it's sort of mandatory if you live out in the hills it's kind of you kind of need them and um they didn't want to have anything to do with the NRA. They think it's a, you know, a, a joke of an organization, politically speaking. But they feel like, well, you know, first of all, it's in the Bill of Rights. And you damage one amendment, you know, you, you give the, the, a, a precedent for the government to weaken the Second Amendment, then they'll weaken the first or the fourth or the fifth. So, you know, as long as it's the Bill of Rights, it's got to be honored. That actually is sort of the official ACLU position. It has been. They don't play really it up use as it. much yeah. yeah um and the rest and and the other thing is is you know um out here in rural life we need it and especially if you're growing pot and you and you know you got people coming up from the other places and busting into your place you know <laughs> it's obviously a necessity or you know other things bears or whatever but it's just um so it's a part of their life um and they also despite being left-wing have a kind of a libertarian streak to them um, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm all for maybe even socialism, but I wanted it to be like laissez-faire socialism, you know, not necessarily a centralized government, uh, kind of a thing. It's very interesting moving here and, and learning these things. So that was my first show to have, you know, um, uh, asking people's opinions about it. And I was giving sort of the lawyer perspective on it because that was my perspective. I mean, I don't own guns, never planned to, um, and I wouldn't, wouldn't really care whether there were a lot stronger gun controls except that it is in the bill of rights and uh, you know and they were like and so somebody once said well well you're a hypocrite because you would oppose laws here that you wouldn't oppose in canada and I'm like yeah because it's not in, in a bill of rights in canada you know it's it's it's, it's about you know how the law works and uh so anyway, that was, you know, it was, that, that's what I try to do is try to have, I, I don't want to just have it be like a lot of other talk shows where it's just, you know, uh, we're, we're just 
regurgitating, you know, talking to the choir, regurgitating things we always believe. I want to challenge, challenge things. And sometimes I'll just be a total devil's advocate. They're like, people will like get really mad at me. And then the next day in the grocery store, because down there, when I lived down there, you'd run into them a lot. Do you really believe that? And I said, no, but you know. We're just making the argument. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> just you know, so, um, so that's, that's what I did. So then when I came up here, they wanted a more, wanted me to focus more on national politics, you know, kind of along NPR line and the rest. And I said, okay, that's fine. Cause I do pay attention to it. And so that's what Redwood Wonk is about. That's interesting that you sought out people who had that kind of antithetical view to yeah. their character. Cause most people don't do that. Like you said, most talk shows, it's we're reinforcing whatever idea we want to reinforce. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been through a lot of changes in my own life, you know, I mean, I just, and, and so I'm fascinated uh, actually, you know, in fact, I eventually, I actually would like to write a book on famous people who have gone through major changes in their political, um, it, where it, a lot of people are famous for moving right to left, but a lot of people don't know that there are a lot of people move from left to right. And what does it, what does that? There's an old joke that, um, that a, um, a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. And the counter joke is, well, you know, a, a, a liberal or even a radical is a conservative who's had a run in with the cops, you know? So it's just, it's, uh, you, it, you, you all, you have different sets of experiences experiences um as, as to what makes you go one way or another and uh, and you notice that there's certain uh, ca careers that people go into that maybe send them one way or another but um in certain events maybe do that um but it's fascinating because you know there's no real solid pattern to it but um 911 was a big one that moved a lot of people rightward um, you know, but, uh, but the Vietnam war was, uh, was an event that moved a lot of people leftward saying, yeah, I've got I'm second guessing this whole concept of us being the cops of the world. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and then it makes you start to question other things. And, um, like, you know, for instance, um, Lynn Cheney right now is the pariah of the Republican party. And she's paraded by the Democrats, which is really for now, weird. which is really weird because uh, I'm not really going to sell. I'll, I'll respect her, but I'm not going to celebrate anything until she changes her position on torture. You know, but do that. I'm glad she now recognizes that her sister's a human being. You know that type of a thing, and I respect her because she did basically end her electoral career taking a stand. I'll, I'll respect that. I'm not going to vote for her. You know, but well, and if you look at her <laughs> voting record. She's basically aligned with the Republican Party. And, and with Trump, 93% of the time. Yeah, it was just, but it doesn't matter with that crowd. You, it's, it's all or nothing. It's Trump or nothing. Yeah, it's basically. And so, um, yeah, it, it, you know, and is Trump even really a conservative? I sort of think Trump is basically whatever he needs to be that meets his needs in the moment. I don't even know if he knows what it is, you know, it's just um, half the time. So um, I, I'm sort of wandering from topic to topic here, but I, but she's somebody that I would love to interview because I bet in a few years, because she's going to be exposed to, to more uh, people, um, that it's going to affect the way she has outlook. She might not change her positions diametrically, but she'll look at them differently. I see that on the Supreme Court. Um, almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody who went on to the Supreme Court, very conservative, has moved to the left over the years. Now, um, 
the uh, Brennan was a Republican appointee under Eisenhower. Um, the um, Sandra Day O'Connor, Blackman, was a Nixon appointee who was reversing himself, became a, an opponent of the death penalty after a while, was the last one who was absolutely against the death penalty. Um, there's a tendency, and my theory is that um, is that they once they're there, they don't owe anything to anybody at that point. There's nobody who can get them removed except for by an impeachment process that's, you know, as we know, doesn't really happen. And um, so they're in for life. And so they're there day after day being affected uh, by smart people every day who are making all kinds of arguments and talking to them about all kinds of things. And sometimes when people get older, they chill out a little bit. We'll see if the current crowd does. Do you anticipate that happening? Maybe with a couple of them, um, you know, I mean, Roberts, you know, I, it, it um, is, you know, it, it, an interesting guy. And I think he's like, man, you know, look what's, what, what's happening. He's like one of the old style, um, moderate Republicans that are on there. Um, but, but when you're in a religion, uh, like Amy Coloney Barrett is, I don't know. I don't know how how much it's it it governs what she does maybe not she sounds okay when she's talking right she doesn't want it to be that way i just don't know kavanaugh i mean i i i just have no idea he obviously is very angry person i mean you know he was accused either falsely or truthfully i don't know um i found her credible but i don't know you know um and but he was all real angry at that and seems to have a chip on his shoulder about it um the other two you know i just uh, and um you know so uh, the some of them never do change they are just locked in and they've got their ideology and that that's what they have um but sandra day o'connor she was a reagan appointee and by the time she was off the the uh, court, she was, you know, considered a raging liberal in a lot of ways. Well, I don't think, and I'm I'm yeah. too young to really have a formed opinion on this, but I uh-huh. don't think that the party lines were quite as rigid. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't. That and, seems to be my understanding. In fact, if you look at the debate between Bush and Reagan um, back in 1980 when they were running against each other before they became um, the you know mates uh, running mates, um, which everybody looked at that and said, "How is that going to happen?" But it happened. Um, the, the what they say about immigration, you, you would think that they were like in the left wing of the Democratic Party today. It that's evolved that whole um, you know, concept. Now, granted, immigration has you know increased a lot more since then, but um, but they all talked about you know it, it, at least in much more humane terms than that were discussed. There's a there's a video of it on on um, YouTube. You can find it. I mean, they're like they're like talking like you know somebody in the sanctuary movement would talk practically it was really it's wild um but that doesn't mean he was any less liberal in 1960 reagan had had a speech you can also find on youtube calling medicare socialism so you know uh, he went from being a liberal to conservative to mellowing out again you know sometimes you go back and forth a little what do you think causes that it's just you know just experience. I think with there's age. different things. I think you've got um, uh, you you've got different things. I, and I, as I I've noticed, it's it's again it depends on what you're into. Soldiers tend to move to the left. 
especially as they get older. Officers do. Admiral Larocque became a, a pinnacle of the peace movement. Um, McNamara, who was you know basically the architect of the Vietnam War, became uh, was uh, an advocate for um, nuclear freeze for you know. Um, and the rest. Uh, country singers, when they get older, tend to move to the left. The whole, um, um, what do you call it? What, what was the crowd? They had Johnny Cash and um, were they the Highwaymen? I can't remember. But it was, um, anyway, it, it, it had Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash. It was sort of like the super team of the country stars. All of them are basically left wing. Willie Nelson um, and... Um, and I'm forgetting who the fourth was, but you know, you, and um, and priests, they're young, they're kind of intense. They get older, they mellow out, you know. But then you get pundits like Chris Hitchens, brilliant guy, and I I loved listening to him right and left, um, you know. And and he'll tell you he never really went right. He'll tell you he just was smarter about it but you know he he didn't uh he said he wasn't really socialist but his ideas didn't really change all that much he just said the left became more dogmatic and he felt he needed to stand up to, to that um max eastman you know what made him do it well a lot of the horrors coming out of the soviet union that a lot of the left refused to acknowledge not just the communist left but even a lot of the liberal left that just didn't want to deal with it um until until the Khrushchev report came out and said, yeah, um, you know, Stalin's purges killed more than Hitler did in his, um, death camps. Right. You know, well, those, those circumstances make sense, right? Especially yeah. with soldiers that go off to wars, you see this violence right? and you come home and maybe you have a family. You don't want your child to go experience sure. what you went through. So yeah. It would track that you would switch your right. stance on that. Right. Or you see a whole country against you and you're wondering, why are these people trying to kill me? I want them to be free. Right. You know, and, and you, and you start to think about why, yeah, why are, okay, it's one thing, the soldiers, but why are the people shooting at me? Right. You know, Or why are we here? I mean, you take exactly. Iraq, for example. Yeah. Why are we here? Right. And then you come home and you feel that it was all for nothing. Yeah. Although it's not all at once. I mean, I don't know if you ever um, watched Born on the Fourth of July about Ron Kovic. Excellent movie. Tom Cruise plays him. Doesn't look anything like Ron, the real Ron Kovic, but it's a real guy who was uh, became paraplegic because of the war. Went in completely right wing, gung ho. You know, America, love it or leave it. He says that through the first half of the movie, including when his brother becomes a protester against the war. His brother and sister, um, and uh, even when he gets back for the longest time, he's like, um, uh, you know, hardcore. Um, it's his former high school girlfriend played by Kira Sedgwick who, um, who starts to get him to loosen up and then he starts to kind of think about things. And at the end, and this is real life, he was, um, protesting outside the Republican convention in 1972. And by 1976, he wheeled himself in to, um, make a speech at, um, just before Carter made his vic well, his, uh, primary victory speech at the Democratic convention. Excellent movie. One of Oliver Stone's, uh, best, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm fascinated by it because I'm like, well, what's taking him so long? And you see, you know, there's keys. If you know the history, he's got the book, Johnny got his gun on the shelf. Johnny got his gun is an anti-war book that comes from decades before it's horrible thing to read really well done but i don't recommend it if you're like trying to enjoy a vacation or i'll something. have to check it out yeah it's just um it's a it, lot yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot to deal with and um 
and uh, but it's um, the um, and All Quiet on the Western Front, nineteen thirty movie, um, great movie, you know, just uh, that that talks about how this it, it's a it's a um, story of the war from a German soldier's point of view and how he turned against the war went gung ho, but that happened during the war, um, and you know finds out when you start to have um, ambivalent feelings, it's one thing to have it after a war, but it's kind of deadly during the war, um, you know, so it's just, um, but the, um, so yeah, yeah. So the, you're right. That's, that's one of them. Tr- forms of trauma do. I have a cousin He was raised a hippie. He's a Trumper right now, but he's been through different types of trauma, um, and the rest. And I try to make deals with him. He keeps throwing, you know, a, a lot of, um, a, a lot of videos at me that he wants me to watch things by Matt Walsh and things like that. And I say, okay, all right, I'll watch 10 of yours. If you watch one of mine, he says, I'm not watching any more propaganda. I was raised on the propaganda we were raised. On. I'm not watching one more thing. Um, and I see like in the gym, um, not this one, uh, over here that I'm in now, but the one that closed down over off of Broadway, I was there one time on the cardio equipment and somebody had CNN on and this older guy walked in and yells says is is anybody watching that and somebody said yeah i was watching that and he angrily just left the room because he didn't want to be contaminated or whatever it's like come on you know it's if you're that afraid of being affected by ideas that you know are are done you my view is you should constantly challenge your ideas uh there's a there's a line in the movie contact did you ever see that Mm -mm. contact is a great movie it's an alien movie right well jody sort of jody foster plays um a, a um radio telescope astronomer who's searching for life the um seti the ones that um that uh are listening for radio signals and uh and at, at a certain point they do hear signals they receive a signal that's um from um the uh, from others and her line is when she gets back into to where the, the um where her team is she says make me a liar which is basically, you know, give me all the reasons why this is not what we are hoping it is. You know, shoot it down. That's what science is, right? You want if you've got a theory, you want to take every effort to shoot it down. You don't want to find con- confirmation bias. That's bad science. You want to shoot it down. So, if you really believe in something, then put it through the worst test. Um, you know, it, 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 if anything, it'll strengthen your belief in that system, or maybe you'll alter it, and then it'll be a stronger belief because you're taking into account certain things. Or maybe it turns out you shouldn't have believed that in the, to be when. And I've had some of those those revelations, you know, and just well, uh, the problem is what you just said is almost antithetical to how we run society today that's why i feel like people aren't going to be switching sides as much anymore is you have these rigid political divides and all the media that you're consuming is along that divide you're not seeing the other side you're not getting the other input which is so odd because it's at our fingertips we can get any media we want right i mean we we can we can you know, access it so easily and i watch fox news i i you know will will i'll even you know listen to matt walsh i have I have a low threshold for 
the ones that yell at me. I mean, that was the first thing I noticed with Fox News. It's like, okay, I'm sitting here in my living room. I can hear you. Why are you yelling at me, right? You know, but um, the um, but then I noticed MSNBC started to do the same thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, um, you know, but it's I and I I don't I actually don't really like cable network. Uh, opinion news that much anyway first of all can't stand the number of commercials they all have but um but the um but yeah no it's it, we we ought to be doing it and that's why i miss the old guard conservatives um probably you're too young to remember them live but william buckley he used to have a uh, firing line was a show uh where he would invite people that he disagreed with and sometimes he'd get his butt kicked he had noam chomsky on one time totally got outclassed but you know he okay that that happened but most often he he won just because of his wit right you know and and but he as he got older he realized okay just because i win an argument because i'm so clever with myself even admitted that doesn't mean i'm right you know just because i've done more research and all that you know there, I, I could run into somebody on the street and they could be right you know, that just because I can outsmart him and all I've done is shut him up and what have I accomplished? He actually, you know, started to say that. So he would have the set up these debates where there'd be like four on four of, of, you know, on a position. And, and sometimes he had where, where you had different people like with the drug war, he had two conservatives and two liberals on each side. So, so you would have um, this. I can't remember the name of the liberal guy. Uh, it was a, a politician from New York up against. Um, again, I'm, my brain is going, but it. Um, he was the head of uh, the ACLU at the time, and and the and the guy from Congress kept saying, "So you agree with William Buckley? So you agree with William Buckley? Buckley? Blah blah blah. So you agree with William Buckley?" And he says, and, and finally um, he said, "Will you stop saying that?" He says hardly ever. So stop saying that. You know, it was just uh, and Buckley cracked up. He's like sitting right there. But it just um, I, I miss that. We don't have that anymore. CNN doesn't even have crossfire anymore. That was well. Now you just have panels of five people that agree yeah. with each other and just pair right. it talking points. Yeah, and we tried with Matt and um, and David. And I, we tried to see if we could get something like that locally, but it's really hard. Is that because people don't want to have their ideas challenged? Uh, I don't know. We had one person come uh, who's kind of a moderate conservative, was a great guy, but I think he got pressure not to come back because you're giving validity to their airways. You're platforming someone that shouldn't exactly. have a platform. Exactly. And I'm like, you know, I mean, it just, um, it, 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 it was, um, you know, the strangest thing, but we, I'd love to do it. I'm, we're, I'm looking for, I would love it if, if there's anybody, you know, who is willing to come up. And I've had conservatives on my show. I've had libertarians on my show. I love it. And I will never ambush anybody. I don't do that. I and, and they all know that now. I've had Virginia Bass on my show. I've had Leo Lancey. I've had, I, you know, a, a lot of different people on it. They know that I don't ambush them. I, you know, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not there to, to win points. That's that's not, uh, you know, that that's not productive either. I'm I'm there to help to 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 learn and help the audience learn from the 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 instruction. We're there for an hour, uh, you know. I want I want everybody to learn from the interaction and and just trying to get people willing to do that. They're afraid because that's what most of the media is. That's what it's everything is about gotcha. And, you know, and embarrassing the other side. And, and when, and what do you do when you accomplish that? Okay. So the other guy's embarrassed this time. They're not going to be embarrassed the next time. They'll be ready for you. 
You know, I mean, it's just uh, when, if and when they give you the opportunity. I mean, it's just, you know, and I watched the style of the debate, you know, the this gish galloping that Ben Shapiro does. And some of the leftists aren't that much better. Um, what's his name? O- Ober... Oberman, Oberman, Keith Oberman, he's overbearing. He's just as bad in terms of that as as Rush Lumbo was more articulate in some ways. But it just, you know, it it, it doesn't it, it doesn't do any good if you're just trying to 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 afterwards have your side cheer and say, oh, he won that argument, and the other side either says, no, you didn't, or well, you didn't prove anything, right? You know, okay, so yeah, you beat up our person, so what? You know, it's just um, it's we we don't have real discussion in this thing, and every everything is so hypercharged. I mean, you know, and and one of the things you know, I'm just not a real fan of. Uh, you know, I'm I'm as left as they come. I mean, I really am, but we we are in a weird state uh, these days. I mean, I, and I hate to even use the term woke to describe it because it's what you the don't right, like that term well it's what the right wing is using now right you know it's what they use to oversimplify anything anytime they want to say some you know or, or politically correct um you know it, it, what, what people don't realize about the term politically correct originally it was a term that was used during mao's um cultural revolution if 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 somebody if somebody on their the gang of fours or something like that said you're politically incorrect you knew you were in trouble you could get arrested for that right um and so the it's and so what happened was there were maoists in uh, the students for a democratic society was a primary anti-war organization and there was uh, a couple maoist groups trying to basically take it over um and there was always a fight against them for that and the other groups would basically say oh gee if you take over and I'm politically incorrect. Are you going to have me executed too? I mean, you know, there, there was that kind of thing. And so you had, so you had leftists using politically correct as a weapon against the sectarian extremists, right? Well, then these same people used it throughout the seventies in a self-deprecating way saying, Oh, maybe I'm too politically incorrect. You know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't reject that movie because it had certain things because it does have a lot of saving graces, you know, and, and, and kind of like, the type of thing maybe we need now, you know, to look at things like say, okay, you know, there maybe there's things about that 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 movie that are dated, but maybe we can learn from it, you know, um, something, or maybe there's other other um, th- reasons. Anyway, people would say it is used in a self-deprecating manner, and there was a, a feminist conference where somebody actually said that. Unfortunately, sometimes the press doesn't really pay close attention to the nuances and the media started to catch wind of it and they started to think treating it like it was an actual term that the left was using to say you're politically incorrect in earnest, right? And uh and missing that it was a self-deprecating thing when it was said in America or as an insult, you know, within the intra-left um Paddles, they didn't have that. And so then the right wing caught on and everybody started saying it. a whole show with Bill Maher was based on it. Oh, I'm not politically correct. Then it became the kind of thing where you can say something as racist or obnoxious as you want and say, I guess, preface it by saying, I guess I'm just not politically correct. And and they come off as, as justified of even heroic for saying it. And well, that's the extreme version. But isn't, exactly. there, isn't there some sense that being politically correct 
yeah, you're not going to be killed for being politically incorrect, but you will be ostracized Canceled. from society. Yeah, which yeah. is a real thing. It's I get a, the air quotes. It's a horrible thing. It's a, it's a real horrible thing, and and uh, I would I would have a hard time being on college campuses today. Uh, yeah, but I, isn't that where that kind of stems from? More so nowadays with politically correct, is they're using that as a term to show if we don't mold ourselves to societal views right now, we're were cast out from society well the left doesn't use it anymore no the right right the right, yeah, the right does it. yeah yeah or they use woke in the same way uh woke began as just a african-american um slang for being awake right for being aware of your surroundings is that now, true i've heard that but i i didn't know if that was true or not well i th that's the legend anyway the legend. i, I haven't okay. researched it or anything. i've never heard it in that context but i've heard a few people say that's where it started it, it that that's yeah that's what i've been told i i haven't researched to confirm it but it's like such the common thing that i gotta say that that's what and it sounds like it right but i don't know you know for sure i mean where else would it come from um, I don't know. Things yeah. come from weird places. That's true too. Uh, yeah, like Latinx. Um, that which came... no, that gets under my skin every yeah. time I hear that. Yeah, Nobody it... that I know that is Latino actually likes that term. No, it it did come from a Latino group, but a small group. <laughs> it was a it was a a um... small group born in America. I don't know where they were born, but it was it was a group of trans um, uh, Latino who, who oh, came up with it at a conference and, uh, and then it started to kind of take off. And then, and then some of the people who even started were, were like saying, I didn't realize it was going to take off like this and the rest. And, but a lot of people are saying, we don't even use X, you know, I mean, at least use letters we use, right. <laughs> you know, just, um, but well, you know. you're, you're breaking down culture yeah. for what purpose, because it makes you feel uncomfortable. That seems Right. And, Ridiculous. And, 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 yeah, what are you doing? Why can't you just say trans-Latino or something, right? I mean, it's just, I mean, or something uh, along those lines, because I don't know that any other group has something that's trans-specific like that, you know? I don't know that, um, you know, black people, white people, any of them you do, Asians, are there, you know, is there a special word? So is there a reason? I don't know. Maybe they had a specific reason for doing that, but it's not my fight. But the, but the point is, is that things do start and all of a sudden become that. And, and, uh, and a lot of times you'll, you'll hear things like, um, somebody will say, um, it's not racism unless it's backed by the system. Uh, you can't call somebody racist only, only uh, well, not only white people can be racist, but you can, it's only racism if it's against people of color. I've heard that. Uh, yeah. And the rest, because the system is racist, uh, racist, and therefore it, the, the ra the bigotry has to be systemic. You can be bigoted if, and, and, and be of color against white people, but you can't be racist. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care one way or another. I, I really don't. If it's fine, you know, if you've got different words, okay, you got two words for the same thing, appropriate and use it. But my question is, is who decided that? Is there some sort of committee somewhere, you know? I mean, it was just, you know. It was probably some convention somewhere. Uh, it might have been, you know. It was a type, of, a type of thing. I remember in the 1980s, that's where they first started to say that. And one of the ideas was to call bigotry against white people racialism as opposed to racism. And I thought that, that's just going to confuse a lot of people. And it obviously did because it didn't survive. Right. So it's just, um, so, you know, I, like I said, I don't really care one way or another, but if you're going to expect people to, to do things, you better pretty, 
be pretty clear because when I ask people, so who do, did decide that? They don't seem to know. They just say, that's just the way it is. I'm like, no, I mean, unless you believe in God and God came and brought it down on a tablet or something, um, you got to have an explanation as to why that's the case and what that even means. What does it mean to be systemic? Right? Does that bother know. you, though, as someone who identifies with the left when you hear them go to these extremes of, oh, you can't be racist against white people. Oh, I, I you know, it, if I don't really care one way or another, if it's, a, if, if you want to have a word that does, because I don't think bigot is any less stigmatizing than that racist, quite frankly. I mean, back when I was a kid, we didn't even use the term racist. You, it was you're prejudiced. That was the word in the seventies. That was what I knew. Right. You know, you didn't even say sexist. If a, if a male man was being, it, it was, um, you're, uh, you're chauvinist. That was the word, you know, so words change and sometimes meanings of words change and I'm fine with it. I don't care. I, I just, you know, I can't keep track of when words change. That's the whole thing. So it's sort of like, um, they, so, you know, I, I want to know what the process is. I'd like to know who, who decides it and when, and, um, and, you know, until we know exactly how and why and who's making those decisions, ease up. You know, I mean, well, that's my problem is there's in reality, there's not a process. You have these, it's kids. It's always these kids that come out of, I don't know, these radical colleges or yeah, some seminar that they attend. Yeah. And they group together and they just decide that this is the new thing. And now everybody has to adapt to this instantaneously. You don't get it. You don't get a second to try to evaluate how you feel on the issue. Yeah. You have to conform to that belief or you're cast out. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, it's true. See, I think I've reached an age where I've only got so many fucks to give, you know? So that's I what I hear from a lot of people. And <laughs> that worries me because if we, if people take that attitude, then is there going to be anybody left no, to fight? No, because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm going to keep talking the way I am. I mean, I'm not going to directly hurt. So if somebody tells me, you're hurting me by saying that, then I'm going to stop saying it. Fine. You know, that's fine. Even if I think they're making it up, uh, you know, or, or trying to interpersonal power plays like fine, whatever. Okay. I'll do it. Right. You know, but, um, but if, you know, if, if they're like saying, well, we're going to kick you out of a forum. Okay. Fine. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stay in the forum. And I've been kicked out of a couple forums for some really stupid things, um, on Facebook, you know, it's like, all right, that's fine. For but, views that you've expressed? No, for, uh, saying things the wrong way or making, or actually not even for saying things the wrong way. I was, um, I was, it, it, you know, this is where it gets really strange. Um, there was a, a book written by um, Marge Piercy uh, called Woman on the Edge of Time. Um, And she proposed that there be um, non-gender pronouns. But her idea for it was per, which was short for person. And so when when all this started coming up, I said, gee, I I think it makes more sense. Marge Piercy's one makes more sense. And they were insulted by that. Well, 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 you are telling you know, so-and-so people, how they should say it. And I just said, no, I'm just saying, giving an opinion here. And, uh, and because I would not revoke my opinion, I was kicked out of the group. 
I mean, that's, you know, and I'm like, whatever. That's what I mean by I don't, I have no fucks to give. I mean, it's just like, you're going to do that? Fine. You know, it's just, um, but I'm not in a position as an academic, you know, where I, where I'm at stake. My, my profession, I, professional position is not at, at risk. I can afford to do it. Other people, you know, I mean, comedians are afraid to go onto college campuses. That's my biggest fear is the people that are at stake. Right. Educators that yeah. do have their jobs on the line, people that work <laughs> in media that have their positions threatened yeah. for views. Yeah. And anybody who's trying to, God forbid, teach creative thinking, you know. That's, yeah, that's not happening. No. I mean, that's just, uh, it, it, it is actually happening. It's, uh, you know, we, we tend to think that it's not happening, but actually I've talked to people whose professors do challenge them and, and it happens. And, and, and every once in a while a student will, will you know, get up and leave because they're insulted and they'll file a complaint. And we hear about the most extreme situations and we hear about the spineless administrations, but most administrations will like to hear the complaint, get the complaint, say, yeah, whatever, you know, so that, so, so we hear about the more extreme situations where, you know, Ann Coulter's, uh, you know, there's violence outside because she shows up, you know, it's just like, and, uh, but most, uh, most places, the, the, the other places they'll be, you know, smart enough to realize, do you realize not only are you being, you know, quasi fascist by doing that, but you're playing straight into her ego and what she wants and that she's going to fundraise off of this. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's just total self-defeating on every, every level, you know, and, uh, and she's not even the worst one that comes here. The worst, some of the worst ones are the people you don't even know about, you know, I mean, it's just, um, uh, but, but you don't, you know, you don't shut, you, you don't end debate by shutting them down. Quite frankly, I want to know that they're there because then people will start showing up in, 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 in clandestine and you don't get to have a discussion about it and you can't challenge them. And, and then the, then the people just go to their own websites. That's, the, that's the problem. That's part of the problem. Everybody's got their segregated, um, you know, uh, websites and um and i you know the right's not any better i i was on a site again giving my explanation as to why i actually oppose certain forms of gun control right i don't care about the guns i don't believe that it's a deterrent to um to you know a fascist government or anything like that because quite frankly you know, all of us having our, our shotguns and even our AK-47s are not going to be a match for an organized military unless we're trained and, and, and know how, how to do it. And a guerrilla warfare in, in the United States would not be fought with those. It would probably use kind of like in Iraq, improvised explosive devices and assassinations, you know, under, in, in, in much like, more like the Battle of Algiers than anything else. But uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Strongly recommend that movie. Um, but um, the, um, and, um, but, so, but I said, but I agree. I don't think we should have a blanket, um, you know, ban of handguns, you know, that requires blah, blah, blah. It didn't matter because I didn't agree for the right reason. They were all over me for it. You know And I'm just like? They, they want that because they've got their gospel. You got to believe for the right reason. You know, just like you've got, it doesn't matter that you voted with Trump all these times you you buck them once and it, you're good that's Welcome it. to the club yeah come just, over to our side yeah i mean it's just um it, it's um so yeah it, it uh at any rate i i mean it's no it, it 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 is it is a real problem and yeah and i think it's and to a certain degree 
some of what we're talking about here, and I, like I said, I hate to use the term wokeism because once the right wing grabs it, it's like I want to come up with something else to call it, you know, and I haven't really come up with it yet. But, um, but you know, um, but to some, to to a limited degree, that is what part of what gave us Trump. It's not the only thing. It's, a, but it is. I do want to talk about that, but I have to ask, when do you think the violence aspect really came into play for the left because you always heard about that with the right these mm -hmm. far-right extremist groups were always a little violent but it wasn't attached to the left like it is now the left used to be the proponent of free speech they used to encourage debate you had the ACL aclu say that you know nazi groups should be allowed to march yeah but because they, it, but that they were not they lost a lot of favor with the left even back then yeah but that was an important fight it was and yeah. they acknowledged at the time that you have to let groups you disagree right. with speak or you lose the right to speak we've lost that today yeah now it's you have to say the right speech or you don't get the right to speak well the aclu actually are still proud of that position they still fundraise and they lost a lot of support over that position on the left even then the, I, you might you could argue that the left was actually even more violent at that time. Um, there was you had um, what happened in Chicago, and yes, I primarily blame the Chicago cops and the Daily uh, Mayor Daily Machine. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see the uh, trial of the Chicago Seven yet. No, I don't know what happened in Chicago. Oh, okay. Well, Chicago was a um, was the Chicago Democratic Convention. And different groups were coming there to protest um, because uh, LBJ was, you know, going to be there and to protest the the, the war. Um, and because you know, it was a Democratic president um, that was um, leading the war in Chicago as a place to organize. Well, Mayor Daley, who was a Democrat but very kind of conservative in a lot of ways, said, no, no demonstrations would not grant and permits for any demonstrations would not grant uh, and was saying, you show up, we're going to arrest you. Well thousands tens of thousands of people young people showed up anyway and they showed up with the cops and it was a bloodbath and uh and so the um the the next year um the nixon was president became president and mitchell uh you'll you'll if you study you'll hear about him he ended up in jail over watergate but he was the um attorney general wanted charges filed against federal charges filed against um eight of the organizers um uh, it it would be it was down to seven once uh, bobby seal was uh, separated from the trial he shouldn't have been part of it anyway cuz he really wasn't in it but they as they point out in the movie they wanted a scary black guy in there to scare the jury he was one of the the Black Panthers, and that's that's the other thing is that that was the Black Panthers and other groups represented a kind of a violent break from the Martin Luther King crowd. I mean, there was a lot going on back then, so there were there there were violent advocates of the left and the Weathermen, and and we'll talk about that. But um, but what was happening in Chicago was um, they they weren't necessarily advocating that it turned violent, but they said we're going to come here. Tom Hayden, Abby Hoffman. Um, the Jerry Rubin are all very famous organizers of the time of, of the left, and they came from very different parts of the left. Um, and, but they were all organizing their groups and coming there. And um, the um, and so when this horrible thing happened, luckily nobody was killed. A lot of people really badly injured. A lot of officers and everything just poured all over Chicago. Just the, the streets. Was it violence amongst the protesters or against the? 
the police between the police and the protesters and also some counter demonstrators and the protesters but it was mostly the police and the and and the and the kids that were protesting got so angry that some of them actually got into the uh one of the halls of the convention democratic convention and it just um it was just chaos i mean it was absolute chaos but the police were not great anytime they showed up for a group in the park you know to like to do what should have been a lawful protest uh, police were all over them with batons breaking heads open i mean it was really bad um this was where Buckley was not at his best, and he was in a debate with Gore Vidal, and um, and, and you can find this on on YouTube too, um, where you know Buckley is like saying, "Well, I believe that the police uh, actions were justified," and Gore Vidal says, "Well, I expect you to say that because you're basically a crypto Nazi," and 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 then Buckley says, "You say that again, I'll sock you, and you'll you know and blah blah blah," and and there it just kind of broke down. This was not a a, a good time, and then. Uh, and then Buckley threatened to sue and everything, and all this became. And then Gore Vidal's apology wasn't really an apology. He said, "Oh, yeah, that just kind of came out of my mouth. I only meant to say crypto fascist, you know." Just <laughs> so anyway, it was just. I mean, this was the time. This was so. Well, you know, we think it's bad now, but it was at the time. And there were a lot of people who were saying, "Look, every time we try to have a peaceful demonstration or a peaceful anything, our leaders get killed." Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, all these people, and we get beaten up and some, you know, and, and the rest. So they started to become violent. Um, and, um, the weathermen actually organized an underground group. They were small, but they started blowing up bombs. They always warned people. They never killed anybody. Um, except accidentally three of their own when a bomb went off in the house. But, um, but they, they would always give like a half hour warning and say, everybody better leave that building because, um, it, but they, but it was violent. And uh, they were actually putting bombs out there. They're just, yeah. Oh yeah. They were up. blowing up buildings. Um, and, uh, and the like, and, uh, and Hoover got pissed and could never catch up with them. So maybe I'm wrong then. Is it more violent now or is it I don't it think it is. I form? think what you see is is more spontaneous violence. But I don't think you'd see the organized violence like you have to, like you used to. I mean, that was back then you had the Symbionese Liberation Army. I mean, people were actually advocating a violent overthrow of the, of the system. Well, you have Antifa now that basically, yeah. I mean, they're not, thankfully, they're not as organized yeah as other groups but they punch a nazi kind of yeah but their whole thing is we need to burn society down so we can build it back up more equitably some of them say that others just say we need to punch nazis and scare them back out of the place but yeah that no and and there was that element too then um of that and and that and that's not healthy and uh and some of it is just a you know a street reaction when when you have young black men killed it's not anything new going all the way back to Watts and the others. You have, you tend to have riots. This is what happens. It's not like it. And, um, and when Martin Luther King, a lot of the people who, who back the violence will quote him as saying, um, a riot is the voice of the unheard. He wasn't trying to justify it. He was talking cause and effect. He said, when you do this and, and they're not unheard, this happens, right? You know, it wasn't, he was not in any way, he was an advocate of nonviolence, but he was, but he was trying to explain to, um, you know, American leadership, this is what happens when you kill people and, and there is no justice from it. That's Well, you had Chris Cuomo on CNN say, show me where it says protests have to be peaceful on live yeah. national news yeah. Yeah. Right. saying that. Yeah. I mean, right. how crazy is that? I, it, it, it's it, it's inflammatory. 
except that I don't think very many people in Antifa are listening to Cuomo. But still, no, but just to say to that say on it, national yeah. news on a network like CNN, which at the time you could make the argument it was more respectful, and it's a pandering, obviously, you know. To oh, people, yeah. oh, that's all they do now. Yeah, right. And, and it the was same just, can be said for Fox News. Sure. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and to a certain crowd and and the rest, and um, you know, there's a lot of anger out there. I don't think it's actually more violent now, though. I think it's actually less violent. I think you got this element, and 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 the rest, and you do have ideology justifying it, but. It was a little more scary back then. I was a little bit young. I came in on the tail end of it. You know, I was um, uh, four years old when King was shot. Um, and um, and I didn't know much about what was happening with the weathermen. You know, I was in grade school at the time. But I did know about the SLA. That was um, the, the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. You may have heard of that um, a little bit. She, that was the Hearst daughter, the newspaper magnet. And she actually... Oh, uh, Randolph Hearst. Yeah, Randolph Hearst uh, it, it was his William granddaughter. Hearst, yeah. yeah, his granddaughter um, was was captured. She suffered from Stockholm syndrome. Actually, participated in bank robbery, and you know, was uh, and then they were all a bunch of them were killed um, by um, the L.A. PD uh, set the house on fire and shot them as they were leaving. It's really uh, a horrific situation. But that was they were called the Symbionese Liberation Army. I don't even remember what Symbionese means. But it was, um, you know, you had a lot of this going on back then. They were. So, do you think that this violence is just? an effect of people feeling oppressed, whether it's warranted or not. And I, it just takes that I th- form. I think the spontaneous r- riots happen that way. I think th- those, those are when people go out there and start. You but know, what about these movements stuff. where, especially on college campuses, where I, if you, I think it starts that way. I think it's, I, I think it's, it's a cynicism that gets born of, you know, things not changing fast enough for them. Um, you know, and, and, and back then, like I said, there was one death after another. I mean, people were just being shot and killed and dying. There were labor leaders and people I haven't even mentioned yet. Medgar Evers, um, three three of the um, civil rights workers were found murdered by basically a Klan death squad, um, you know, and, and the rest. And 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 there was so much of people who they were starting to get tired of. I'm tired of turning the whole idea of turning the cheek. I want to start shooting back, and, you know. And it was just and and when you're young. Especially and, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe not quite as patient and not realizing how slow change really is, how agonizingly slow it can be. Um, yeah. That's know. a big part. Yeah. That wanting to turn the ship faster than it's turning. Then it's, then it's turning, you know. And, um, but why college campuses? Those used to be, I don't want to say sanctuaries of thought, but you could have free thought there and open debate. Those were really the the best frontier speech had. And that was what they fought for. And for, na- the but now it's, it's so far gone. It, it's so far down the rabbit hole. I, I, I want to I, I say that that's been overhyped a bit. Uh, because I I was saying that too. And then I had friends of mine say, no, come and check this out. And well, I've been to, I've gone to like three or four different schools. And I can yeah. say that it, it is definitely more prevalent than most people but, expect. But but I've be. actually been in in some classrooms where where I've seen the exchanges and there are exchanges between conservatives and liberals and the rest. It's 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 that way in schools, but they are afraid to outside the classroom in a public manner have the debates. But in the classrooms, a lot of the debates are still happening. And yeah, they turn in the the teachers every once in a while they get angry because you know teachers said something the wrong way and in most cases as i said the administrators 
will will like say, yeah, grow up. Um, but but you do have those. But cases sometimes where it the administrators are like, oh, you know, I got my job too. You know, I I I got a family to feed, and I don't want you know all this kind of pressure from the community and blah blah blah. So it just um, it, it, it yeah. So there 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 is that. But most of the time, it's it's not. But it, it, it I I I think it's overstated. But that's not to say that it's not a serious effing problem and, and needs to be addressed. And the left needs to take a real strong look at itself, um, a, a, a real powerful look at itself, because it was it was bad when I was going to college in the 1980s. I mean, I remember an incident um, that happened. Um, I was um, I attended UC Santa Cruz and we have different uh, colleges there. And there was a. Um, uh, there was this uh, a uh, trend called breakdancing. You familiar with that? Yeah, breakdancing. Breakdancing. Yes, yeah. it's still okay. Yeah, it's still popular. All right. Well, I believe it was um, okay. Well, it was a there was a uh, demonstration came to the campus to do that, and there was a guy who was concerned about. It was actually trying to make a point about the way it was presented uh, of it uh, about the racism uh, that he saw in it. So he did this satire. And it was written from the point of um, of oh, what's the name of the author um, uh, Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling uh, he he wrote a lot of novels as basically uh, a white person in the colony uh, as a colonialist in India and other parts of the British colonies. And he would write things, brilliant writer, but write things from a very colonialist point of view. And um, I, I, famous for children's books like Ricky Tikki Tavi and I think the Jungle Book, that type of thing. I mean, good, good stories, but definitely kind of a, a view of, um, you know, everything's in its place with, uh, with, with um, maybe you know white people coming across as being more intelligent than than the people other people in his books, not intentionally, but that's the way it was. So so he would and his writing is is known for being that. So this guy wrote about the breakdance in the style of Rudyard Kipling in his view, and this was maybe a little too subtle. Um, because he was talking about these strapping young bucks showing their wares and blah blah blah, and it and it was reported that they were given a warm meal and uh, and a copy of the school catalog, which has nice lots of nice bright pictures in it. Right? Okay, pretty you know raw stuff there, but there were so many students that thought it was for real. They didn't understand that it was satire. One of them even wrote, this was a graduate student's run and said, yeah, this uh, Rudyard Kipling needs to be, um, because he was signed it as his byline, Rudyard Kipling, th- needs to be disciplined. I'm like, you're a grad student. You don't know who Rudyard Kipling is, really? You know, I mean, it was just, um, and it was, um, and you're going to write that. And he was really sorry he did it. And, he, and it was over the top. But, but that's what satire is supposed to be. That's what satire is supposed to be. And now, and he was trying trying to make a point against racism, and here he gets in trouble as as a racist, right? You well, know? you had the I believe it was the Babylon Bee recently was suspended on Twitter for a joke that they made. I I'm not familiar with that. I I'm uh, trying to yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I I mean the other one is Joe Rogan. I I, I don't think he's racist. I heard some of this stuff. 
I, you know, he's, I, I, he's, I, I enjoy some of his stuff. I agree with him maybe 40% of the time, you know, just, um, and the rest. And yeah, he likes to do the shock stuff, but, um, I don't know that I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I think he's got to get, has a raw deal. I mean, it's not affecting him anyway, but you know, it's just, um, uh, so, you know, I think there's a lot, I haven't watched, um, what's the name of the black comedian who's, uh, who they, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet. I don't know. You know, I haven't had a chance to, I will. It's just outrage. I, I, I mean, his joke in that one that they really came after him, it was, he was talking about his friend who mm-hmm. was trans and was basically bullied to death. And he's talking about her or him. I, I, I don't know. Uh-huh. And that's, that's the story intertwined in his jokes. And they just eviscerated him for it. I, I, I have it on my queue just because anything that's going to be censored, I'm going to watch. That's, you know, that, that, that was, you know, the same reason I went to see, um, the, um, uh, the passion of Christ, you know, when, when, when you had Christians protesting outside the theater, I wouldn't have bothered to go see it otherwise. You know, I mean, it you was just, just had, you had to check it out. I had to check it out. And I was like, and then I'm watching it and I was kind of bored. I'm like, I would think they would like this. Right. You know, it was, it was very much as Willem Dafoe playing Christ, um, way back when it was kind of silly. I thought it was, um, but it was, um, you know, and I could see where they went because it has him actually in his dream sleeping with Mary Magdalene. Right. But it wasn't real. It was just a dream. Right. But you know, I guess in their theology, that's really bad, but the, um, uh, but, but the, uh, cause you're not supposed to be tempted if you're Christ, I guess, but the, you know, that, but to me, that was the whole point of it. He was a human being, right? Well, is it the whole point that he conquered temptation with all the same things to show us how it's done? I would think that they would have liked that, but it was just too subtle for them again, you know? So they were out there protesting. Like I said, I never would have bothered with it. Uh, if, if they weren't out there protesting. The outrage it. drives you toward it. Right. And, um, and I, you know, I, as bad as it was, I think the, 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 Graphic novel Mouse benefited from um, from that being banned in the school district back east. Have you ever read that? It's mm. a graphic novel. Um, it's called Mouse. Called Mouse. M A U S. It's German for mouse, and it's about the Holocaust in which Jews are depicted as mice, um, the Nazis as cats, um, and it's uh, the, the Germans as cats, and uh, the um, and it's very powerful and very instructive. And put presented in a way that teenagers can really come to understand. Uh, it, it sounds silly, but it's not. It's really well done. Um, and Art Spiegelman, the author, um, you know, came out. They they banned it because a couple of the mice were naked at one point. So porn, right? I mean, the dumbest thing in the world. It's a drawing, you know. And uh, and the um, the so they, so, but he started to sell. All of a sudden, it drew attention to it. So it's you know, and uh, it, it, I strongly recommend it. I mean, it's, I'll have to check that out. Where do you yeah. think this goes, though, with free speech and censorship? I think we go in like like you asked the question about violence. I think we go in waves, and I think um, I, I think there will be a a reaction to this. I think that there is a younger generation, you know, uh, beyond the millennials and the um, and the Gen Zs even, that are looking at this and thinking that it's going too far. I'm looking at my own son and daughter, for instance. I mean, they, they were raised, in, you know, w- with me. I don't 
impose anything on him. In fact, my my son likes to joke that he's going to vote for Trump even, right? You know, I mean, he likes to, to, to bait it, but he, you know, but then I hear him talking with his friends and, you know, and he's not, um, and, uh, and the rest, but there, I think there is a generation that's going to react to it and say, yeah, that, no, you know, I, I, I think that it, it, they're going to slow down and say, okay, you know, I don't want to throw out the bath baby with the bathwater. Some good points are raised here, but that's, that's off off the, the scale. I mean, that's, that's what happens. A, a generation takes it a little too far. The 1980s generational protests, I think was much more effective in some ways than the sixties because it didn't go crazy. Um, and, and when police started to go crazy, the backlash was against the police because they were unprovoked and they stopped by the mid 1980s, uh, in San Francisco, there was all of a sudden a big citizens committee about the police that were starting stuff up because for one thing, the sixties generation were older and could instruct them said, yeah, yeah, don't learn from our mistakes, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and the rest, but it was, you know, so I think you get generations coming in that learn and then maybe sometimes it has to be relearned. But I think, I think the next generation of the left is going to come up and say, yeah, um, I, I like that. I don't like that. And I agree with you in the sense that it is a pendulum swing, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think there's a possibility of it ever reaching a point where that pendulum breaks off? I hope That you not. go too far one side and it just... I hope not. I don't think so. I think... Because um... that's my fear with... <laughs> the game changer is technology. And I don't mm-hmm. think people truly grasp the ability to censor thought on those platforms because most people aren't aren't being censored right Right. so they hear those stories of people getting kicked off these platforms and they're like well you know it doesn't matter it's not affecting me it's not affecting somebody i know so why why should i care but those are how people communicate nowadays those platforms yeah but you still you you still got to show up at the wedding and the in the funeral and the family gathering and the rest. I've got family members who are conservatives, and um, and we we avoid politics for the first hour, and then people start drinking, we start arguing again, you know. And it's uh, and it's always pretty respectful, um, and. I'm actually kind of encouraged because um, because some of the more conservative members of my family, I think, have had their fill of Trump. You know, they're still going to be conservative and that's fine. You know, that's, it's a perspective. It's a cultural perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I think see part of the problem, I, I think part of it is technology, but I also think part of the problem is we're so alienated from each other these days. I mean, I go back to Simon and Garfunkel's song, The Sound of Silence with a very, and, and maybe the disturbs even more kind of intense version of it. Um, is that great song? Yeah, it is. And, um, the, um, is, is that, you know, we, we are wanting to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We always do. That's, that's what draws a lot of us to politics, to religion, to a lot of different things like that. And so once we fit into our group, we, we want to stay in that group and we don't want to give it up. Right. So, you know, so we don't want to be canceled. Right. You know, that, that type of, of things. And, and it, it's really hard. I haven't, you know, even gotten into this yet, but when I was 16, I joined a sectarian Trotskyist group called the socialist workers party. And it was, it had all the answers for me. 
by the time I was a senior, I was done with it, but it was, but it had for a few months there, it had all the answers for me. Plus it was a very attractive young woman, but that's a whole other aspect to it. There's always a woman. (laughs) But, um, it was, um, uh, yeah, but you know, I wasn't legal yet. She, you know, (laughs) just, but still it was, um, but, but, but the, um, but the wanting to belong. And so I think part of it is that our politics are so culturally identified, you know, that we're, we're part of this. There's, there's two nations we, we say, right. You know, we're part of this group, part of this tribe, part of this clan. Uh, and, and we identify ourselves that way. And that's the problem is if we identify ourselves, our ideas, we shouldn't identify ourselves by our ideas. We should, we should identify ourselves by our ability to discuss the ideas by our, by, by the discussion itself. That's what the experiment is about is, you know, the American experiment and, and the whole, experiment of democracy that is basically being experimented by about 180 countries now uh to what some degree or another around the world is a is about the discussion that's what it's about and if it's not about the discussion then yeah we're going to be like one of the other 30 countries i mean you know and and, and that would be real scary with a country this as powerful as the united states it worries me and i feel yeah. like and again, I don't know if this is just a misinterpretation because of my age, and I haven't mm-hmm. been around to see enough of it yet, but I feel <clears throat> as though people are unified in these groups under a common theme of we are oppressed, and so we're coming together. Rather than we're coming together to try to achieve something better and make something happen, it's I'm being oppressed, oh, you're also being oppressed. Grievance let's, politics. Yeah, let's yeah. get together. Yeah. It uh, seems, the, and those bonds are almost stronger, or not stronger, but they're almost more, they've got a little more zest behind them, because you feel like you have this moral injustice that is being perpetrated, perpetrated, yeah. perpetrated, perpetrated, wow, that was a rough word, perpetrated yeah. against you, and so you have to do something against that. You know, and and sometimes it's even true, depending on the group, right? You know, I don't want to even sell that short or depending on the situation. I mean, you know, that, that, that's there, but, but, but then it gets carried on to, you know, you might as well be the sharks and the jets, right? I mean, it's because you're not, you're not doing anything it's else. It's not real. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, it, 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 or if it's, or, or if it's like team building is, is my, um, uh, partner on, on Redwood, uh, Wonk, uh, likes to refer to it, Dave, uh, is, you know, you're, you're team building, you, you, you're part of a team and, and rather than, you know, I, I, or there's that line, have you ever, I, I keep asking you if you've seen things that are like probably before your time, but, uh, I'm gonna have to go back to you and write them all down so I can watch them. Have you ever seen 12 Angry Men? No. Okay. That, that is, I think a movie that everybody who wants to uh, talk about, um, to, to think in terms of creative thinking and, and, um, and, and dialogue should watch. Uh, it's a jury. It's the whole movie is in one jury room. Um, it's, I don't, it's not single take. They do break it up, but it's very uh, well done. It's filmed in the 1950s. You have to, um, 
you know, basically suspend disbelief uh, because it's, you know, here you are in what's obviously New York City. And somehow, even back then, it would have been impossible that 12 white men be jury, statistically just impossible. Um, but it happens, right? So you just suspend disbelief because it's about the dynamics of what 12 angry white men would be doing, judging uh, whether or not this young man committed murder um, and the rest. And and there are some things that um, were probably should have been a mistrial. You know, guy uh, brings his own evidence into the room, shouldn't have done that. You know, certain things like that. And I actually have certain questions about uh, their their logic at a certain point. I actually think, well, if I if that's true, the kid probably was guilty. But you know, it's a, but you can see where it goes. It's everybody at first, except for Henry Fonda, says guilty. And gradually, as they start to go through the exercise, it's like, well, do you understand reasonable doubt? And, you know, it's not, and, uh, and, but, but it's the exercise of the discussion of the critical, of the thinking process of, well, maybe I'm not that sure. And, um, and, and I think if there was a good preface to the movie, uh, Bertrand Russell, um, philosopher or peace organizer was part of the original peace movement that were the, the origin of the peace sign, which was the first anti-nuclear movement in the early 60s. Um, he was one of the two, three big organizers. He said, part of the problem in this world is that, um, the, is that the stupid, or the, the, the intelligent always have doubt and the stupid are always cocksure. You know, it's, it's just, you know, that's, that, that's a problem. And, and so in this movie, you've got all the people who are like, you know, not quite sure that the thinkers are letting themselves get pushed around by the people who definitely know this kid is guilty. And then, you know, but gradually as they start thinking, yeah, no, wait, wait a minute. No, you know, they start to push back and, and they become firm. And the, and the one little guy who's probably the least quote unquote masculine in terms of his voice and his body and everything ends up pushing back the hardest. No, you can't send a man to chair on that evidence. Give me a break. You know, it was, it's, it's really interesting how that, how it develops. Um, I strongly recommend that it should be mandatory. You know how they do these reaction videos on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, it's starting to make the rounds on that. And younger people are like saying, oh, I don't know if I want to watch a black and white movie. And they watch it. Wow. That's amazing. You know what? They I'll did. have to check it out. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, 12 Angry Men used to be when we had civics classes in high school, you'd watch it to see how a jury works. It's not. You can't You can't bring in your own, well, you'll see it. I don't your own evidence. Yeah. yeah it's just, um, it you know, but, um, but you know, and, and a few other things too. But just, you know, forget about that and forget about the the actual thing. I think they should have written it differently a little bit and they could have made it so that there really should be more doubt. But there are a couple things in there that say, wait a minute, come on, that is a real you know, chance and the rest, but they also want to set it up for their filming, you know, the, the, the big confrontation between E.G. Marshall and Henry Fonda, they had to have it with the, with the pieces of evidence. So, I mean, it just wouldn't have been the same film without it. So they had to do that, but it just, um, it, it, um, but it, you know, I, they, and, and we need movies like that. Um, they've done a couple of remakes, just not as powerful. 
um, of it. I think people need to go back to the original one. It's also just the, the, where they really started to develop the whole concept of doing closing in close-ups on people and pulling out and, and where they st stick on somebody's face um, even after they stop speaking and somebody else starts to really emphasize that person's feeling. I mean, you know, all kinds of little things. That, cinematic effects. Cinematic effects that, that we take for granted now that were just sort of still being developed back then as, as film was really evolving. And, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, but I, I, I bring that up because, you know, I think about how do we change minds? How, how does somebody change a mind? You know, um, I was raised to do that. When, when I went to the Socialist Workers Party meetings, my parents were like, oh, God, why are you going to that group? When you know, they were organizing against the war in the 60s and they saw this group as being disruptive and, and it was like dealing with the Moonies, they said, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't stop me. They wanted me to figure it out for myself. Walk me through this because your grandfather was a communist, yes. right? Yes. How does that happen? All right. My, my grandfather um, came from Denmark. Um, he, um, he was, um, he, he was a writer. There, there are a number of communists in Denmark. Most of my family in Denmark were either communists or religious fanatics, Christian fanatics. I mean, it just was that way. Um, and, uh, and one of them, if you look up Hans Kirk, um, was actually one of the more famous novelists of Denmark for the 20th century, he wrote The Fisherman, a uh, really interesting book. Um, uh, and, um, the, um, and, um, and they were, the backbone, part of the backbone of the underground during the war. Um, a lot of stories about it. He was actually captured or escaped. They burned his books, the, the Germans did, uh, during the occupation. But by the fishing part of my family, their fishing boats were used to transport Jews and other people over to Sweden um, and the rest. Uh, you know, so, so this... They and, and the Communist Party was the backbone. That's why they have some popularity in politics in Europe to this day. They were the backbone of the um, underground movements in France, Italy, and in Denmark. And um, and so, th th but but my grandfather came over earlier, um, and uh, he hooked up with people here. It was in the party. He back then it wasn't quite as big a stigma. He joined the um, military and took part in the invasion of of Italy um, during the war. Um, Mary, this World War One, World, World, World War Two, World War Two. Italy was actually on the allied side in world war one but axis in world war two um but the um <clears throat> the so the um so the meanwhile he married my um step grandmother um who um he, he'd married my blood grandmother divorced her married my step grandmother who had been a nurse in what's called the abraham lincoln brigade i don't know if you've heard of what happened in in spain but this was the precursor to the war a lot of people say franco uh a group a, a left coalition government was elected uh circa 1934 i think maybe 35 um was uh there a um a rebellion in the military led by general uh, franco uh came up uh, the part of the military sided with with the republicans as they were called and um and there was the spanish civil war and 
Germany and Italy were backing Franco, but nobody on the West was backing Spain because they had um, ties to Stalin, the communists, some of them. And uh, although uh, the com the Soviet Union did provide some help, it just wasn't anything compared to, to, to that. Anyway, so international brigades went in. They became known as the international brigades and the American contingent became known as the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. My grandmother was a nurse, served as a nurse in that brigade, actually met Hemingway, um, thought he was pompous asshole but anyways uh, the uh which shouldn't surprise anybody who has <laughs> read him um but so 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 when he met her they uh, they all fell into this communist grouping so they they were there and um and during the McCarthy era you're familiar with McCarthyism the 50s and all a little that. bit yeah well that was that was the backlash during the cold war after the war in which um McCarthy held up I have a list of 200 plus um spies in the state department but it really wasn't about spies in the state department it was about going after hollywood the reds in hollywood about the unions and the rest and uh, the fbi was just everywhere trying to root out anybody who was communist they even came and took my grandfather and my father and uncle's passports away um and uh, <clears throat> at one point he was already a citizen Back then, if you served in the military, you get your citizenship, so they couldn't um, deport him or anything like that. But um, even though he got here illegally, um, I, he um, came into San Francisco. He, he got a job. I, I, came into Ellis Island there? No, he was. Um, he he when when his um, family uh, he was in going to school. He wanted to be a writer like his first cousin, um, Hans Kirk, and. Uh, but but when the depression happened and the market collapsed, his family ran out of money. He didn't want to go back to the farm, so he um, got a job on a ship, um, you know, some type of liner, and um, came to San Francisco. Loved it. Didn't get back on the ship. Um, so basically, jump ship. And, um, and smart idea. Uh, where? Yeah. And, you know, and so the FBI took his passport. Well. He actually became a citizen long before that happened. He was he went he served in the military, joined the military as an illegal alien, right? And uh, they didn't stop him. And uh, and because he served in the military back then, that was made it easy for you to get your citizenship. And um, and so he had it. But during the McCarthy era, because he had been in the Communist Party during the 30s and 40s, um, he, his passport and his two sons were taken away, uh, and the rest. So we we have the story. My Dad um, was later in what's called the new left. The communist left and the old socialist left are considered the old left. The 60s, what broke out, was considered the new left. They were considered, you know, a little bit less ideologically rigid and more geared towards cultural resistance as well as um, economic and, and the rest. And they took on different issues. For instance, one of the things that they argued about, my grandfather died Literally, when my mother was pregnant with me, he was a drinker. It was um, uh, liver failure. Um, and, uh, and he told my dad, ecology is a bourgeois science. I mean, if, you know, if he was around during the whole logging wars thing here, he wouldn't have been a fan of Hurwitz and Pacific Lumber. He would say that, yeah, they were corrupt and bosses and they need to be, you know, overturned and the rest. But he would say, but what about the jobs? He would be right with, you know, the, the, the people there. So there was that difference. I mean, you know, between that. And so, you know, what I'm sort of getting at is then, so I was raising that, but then, then, um, but he rolls his eyes at that kind of like a lot of people who are raised in the Catholic church 
by the time they go to college aren't Catholic anymore. You know, they kind of respect the morality of their families and the rest and what they're raised with, but they don't want to be Catholic by the time they're done with college, right? Well, he's the same way with the Communist Party. He was much more interested in participating in anti-war demonstrations, listening to Bob Dylan getting stoned, right? This is the new left and, uh, and, and the rest. And so I'm kind of raised on the tail end of that. And by the time I'm 16, I'm revisiting the old left, right? Except as a Trotskyist. And, uh, and my parents are, are looking at me saying, why, why do you want to do that? You know, it's just, uh, it, and, uh, and the rest. And so, but they, and they didn't stop me. They, they wanted me to learn on my own. They wanted me to draw my own conclusions. I'm 16 years old attending these meetings. And, uh, and of course, they were relentless. There would be my dad my uncle. So, Eric, uh, do, does your group of huh, how many people do you have nationwide? Uh, I'd say, oh, well, a little over 2,000. They're the vanguard that's going to lead the country to revolution someday. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I said, well, that's what they say. <laughs> was that one of the principles of Trotsky socialism was – Revolution. Trotsky was was an offshoot of Leninism that believed that okay. you had to organize um, the, um, the 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 socialism like like in a mil- quasi military fashion that you would run people for office and do everything the democratic way, but you understood that one day that the, the, um, the ruling class wasn't going to allow it to happen, that they would, they would stop and they would establish, they, they would declare fascism, the iron heel as Jack London wrote about. And, and at that point you'd have to be ready to overthrow them just as Lenin did in 1917. Um, and, and the rest. And so they believed that that was going to happen, but it was always, it was kind of like, you know, the second, coming to Christ. It was always something that was in some theoretical future. It was, it was preemptive of that fascist strike. Yeah, right. It was just, um, they, well, they just, they didn't think it was, it was ever going to happen. They never planned for it or anything like that. It was just something they believed was going to happen in some distant future. So that's why when they were asked, do you advocate the overthrow of, of the United States government? You had some communist people saying that's that's a complicated question. You had um, some of the authors like, yeah, you, you don't understand the, even the question you're asking. It's like, no, I don't now. But when it becomes like Hitler's regime, yes, you know, right. You know, so it's uh, but that was too nuanced for McCarthy. Right. Or he didn't care. He just wanted the answers he was looking for. So, you know, it's just um, so. So, yes, they did believe it was going to happen but they didn't believe in trying to make it happen. You had to wait for the, uh, what were, what was it called? The optimal conditions or the manifest conditions. I can't remember, but there's some terms of that for revolution until then you just worked within the system. And was the new left portion of the communism party? Was that? They weren't in the communist party. They, they were They were new. Well, a few of them were, uh, Angela Davis was, but no, the new left was a break from that whole thing. Okay. The new left was a break from, they, they believed in revolution, but they believed in revolution every day. It wasn't, there wasn't going to be one big, big orgasmic revolution. You, you resisted every day. It was, you resi- you had the counterculture. So you were, you know, the, you, you had the hippies that were coming up with new music, with new, poetry with new uh ways of living new you know varieties you had the back the land movement you had all this kind of of a thing and um and and you know and and you brought in different issues it wasn't just the working class versus the the ruling class they were they were more into some of the theories about race than than um, than the the um, communists had been. Although the communists were very much 
oriented towards towards um, dealing with racism in a particular level. You would, I don't want to say that they didn't believe there was racism or that it wasn't a fundamental issue, but but the, the whole concept of woke probably is more new left than it is old left. Um, and, um, and the rest of the old left believed that it was primarily the struggle between rich and poor. Whereas, um, and, uh, which is kind of where Bernie comes from, for instance, right? He, yeah. He calls himself what a democratic socialist, a democratic socialist. And, and in some ways he's like a blend of new left and old left. Um, you know, he's, uh, and he got torn for it. He, uh, I don't know if you remember the incident during one of his campaign where the two African-American women got onto the stage and basically filibustered, uh, took over and they say, you're an economic, economic reductionist, Bernie, which is to basically say that, you know, you, you believe it's all about rich and poor when it's more, we have to deal with the issues between black and white before we can get to rich and poor. Whereas, you know, Bernie's like saying, if you take care of rich and poor, all the other issues will resolve, right? You know, or, or they all have to be resolved at once kind of a thing. So it's, you know, you just, so you're getting into a really, complicated nuanced things and i'm oversimplifying everything because you know there's a lot of different theories about nuance uh, right you got you know and the rest and then you had you had the women's movement come out of it the personal is political um and the rest um my mother remembers an incident when my my, my parents were actually the beginning of the anti-war movement in San Francisco. They organized the first group in Noe Valley that put out the first one. There was another one over in Haight-Ashbury, but they, they organized one in Noe Valley, put out the first leaflet. Um, and um, my my dad and my uncle, they were a little bit older than a lot of the college students then. They were working as carpenters over in Berkeley, and they got invited to a teach-in after they were done working. They were um, build, constructing some building on the campus. And um, and they uh, and so they decided to come and say, you know what, we're going to try to organize there. So they organized. They got a group of about 15 people, and they were organizing. And all of a sudden, it just took off. It became what would later uh, be, form into the Peace and Freedom Party, which is still on the ballot these days, um, much different than what it was but it um and but my parents my mother remembers this time when the, the movement was pretty big and they were in this house and it was you know and there were probably about 20 people at this meeting and all of a sudden one of the men says okay we'd like the ladies to to leave the room because the men have something really important to talk about and all of the women got up and left the room they went into the kitchen until one of them finally said what are we doing because they were so patterned into it, you know, and th this was the type of thing happening in the movie, in the movement across the thing. This was one of the, it was probably simultaneously happening across the country. And they all went back into the living room and said, you can all leave if you want, you know, <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, I'm not sexist. We just, we want to do blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, you asked us to leave, you know, and they, and this, these things started happening. They were starting to say, yeah, we have to transform ourselves. It's not just about transforming the system. We also have to transform ourselves. So that's the beginning of what maybe has kind of gone too far, but you have to, there has to be personal transformation as well as systemic transformation. Um, you know, and, and the same thing, same things were probably, were happening with race where probably there were, um, incidents where people were of color felt like, you know what, you didn't include us in that, or you're kind of telling us how to think or something like that, that maybe has gotten again too far, but, but started off and still in, in real you know, real situations that are, are for real and still are, there are dynamics that, that have to be addressed. And my concern is, yeah, we need to, 
dial it back down again, but we also can't lose lose track of the fact that we still do have pattern behaviors that we need to address and and you know and and uh and do it we got to figure out a way to to do that without you know again throwing out the baby with the bathwater yeah and so that so that's the difference between new left and old left and so how did you get involved in the socialist movement from that oh me well i was i mean i the socialist workers party i decided i see even though my family was into it i I, I, your fa- did your parents go socialist too, or did they stay communist? They, no, my no, my parents, my my mother was raised Catholic and military family, so she never was. Um, she, um, my my father, never really liked the Communist Party. He always thought it was kind of religious in his view. He saw it as a religion, uh, like a church. Um, they always more considered themselves more socialist, but they just weren't into the dogma of it. They thought, yeah, we need to have a more cooperative society, one that, that isn't everybody fending for themselves. We need to have things that, that, that do that. But you know what? Um, it, 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 as he tried to point out to a socialist who freaked out when he pointed it out, the first five pages of the Communist Manifesto contain nothing but um, praise for capitalism. I mean, I challenge anybody read it. It does. It it goes through all the ways that capitalism is a not just a force for for economic efficiency, but progress and, and the rest. And um, and it's possible that if he'd looked at what became the Soviet Union, that he would have said, you know, before you can even talk about socialism, you need some capitalism there to develop the means by which socialism can even be possible. You know, that's that, that in fact, some of the socialists were saying that they all got killed later, the ones who were saying that, but still it was just, um, the, you know, so, so he, he's like, you know, saying, and, and it was, I can't remember how old I was. Uh, I saw, I took interest in socialism, not from reading Marx or any of them because of a girl. No, no, I was, that oh, was later. later. No, it was from reading Isaac Asimov's foundation. Uh, science fiction was a, a was he a socialist? Or how did yes, that... he was, but okay. he didn't call himself that. He wrote a book about a, a utopian, um, society that was based on trying to apply principles of science to organizing the society. Um, it got disguised that, so it survived through the um, through the uh, McCarthy era without being called socialist because sometimes censors are kind of dumb and can't pick up on things if you don't out- lay it out. But I read it. I'm like, yeah, I like that. And then, and then I said, I guess that makes means I'm a socialist. So I decided I wanted to advocate it. So I looked up socialists in the phone book, and the Socialist Workers Party was there. Not the right group. I, I, I really should have been involved. There are other groups that are, you know, less religious and more, more democratic oriented democratic socialists of America. I know I don't like the direction they're taking lately, but that type of organization, um, the, um, the, um, the, but, but that's, um, so I, you know, but, but again, you talk about socialism versus capitalism. When you really think about it, neither one can exist without the other. I mean, you look at a fire hydrant that's publicly owned. That's socialism, right? But, you know. Well, the fire departments. A right? fire department. Police the departments. The roads. The, you know, anything. The schools. Everything. That That's a form of socialism. Even if you limit it to the Marxist view of, well, the means of production. Well, roads are a means of production because try to see anything get produced without them, right? I mean, you know, it's just. Um, so it's just. So, so you, you need it. But you also got to. 
have room for innovation and to encourage it. And so I really fell in love with with the social writing, socialist writings of a guy named Michael Harrington and a few people along those lines who said, we just really need to have uh, a society that um, that, you know, encourages development and, and creativity and 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 allows for rewards for for being innovative and hard work but maybe doesn't have such extreme rewards uh for success and such extreme punishment for failure you know that that we we tapered off and maybe just you know at a certain point you, you can give some of it back, right? You know, whether it's in the form of taxes or, you know, something else. But, you know, and of course, there, there, there's a lot of discussion about what that looks like and, and what, what do we actually have. And then maybe there's certain industries that really just don't work for the private market. I mean, medicine, you know, does it really work if you're a market-oriented business and you got to sell things to make money, then are you going to benefit from a healthy population? I'm not saying that that means you want everybody to be sick so you can sell medicine, but you've got a conflict of interest there, right? You know, so so doesn't it make more sense that maybe that's an industry that should be more socialized than not? You know, and, and but what does it look like and how do you make it efficient and the rest? Well, there are a lot of different models of it. And so that's where it, it comes in. And then, but it, but it's so much, it's like either this or that, and, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we need to, to, to look at, you know, it's like, so people ask, are you a socialist? It's like, it really depends on who's asking. Um, if, you know, if you're, if you're Mitch McConnell, yeah, you're. Yeah, I'm a socialist because you know everybody to the left of Kennedy's a socialist too, right? But if you're, you know, but if you're one of these guys, you know, in in uh, up on the campus, that's um, that's that's in the what is it? The um, I'm forgetting what the organization is, but it's it used to be Maoist. I forget what it is now. But you know, the, the, I, I'm going to be a revisionist to you, and no, I'm not a socialist. I'm just a pretender, right? You know. So it just depends, and it uh, but. To me, it's sort of like I'll defend it tooth and nail against people, you know. I'll even defend the Communist Manifesto against people who've never bothered to read the thing. Read it, then criticize it. Well, there are people that promote communism that haven't read it. Yeah. They won't even look at it. Oh, yeah. No kidding. No. it's um, And there are people who promote um, critical race theory that don't even know what it is. I mean, I try to explain to people, no – they don't teach critical race theory in high school or below. It's not. It's a theory. It's a. It's an approach to the study of law and maybe extended to the study of history, but it's very advanced. There is no critical race theory there. What happened was some a critical race theory book got into some materials that were intended for teachers to review so that they would have some awareness of of the teaching and they were optional materials. And all of a sudden this got translated into this is one of the biggest things, frauds that's been perpetrated the whole thing. There is no critical race theory being taught in any high school or elementary school anywhere in this country. And yet you'll have people saying, yeah, I want them to continue to teach critical race theory. It's like, do you realize you're playing into a complete fraud of, of a, of a thing? There is no critical race theory being taught in any high school or elementary school school and i just i want to scream it from the mountaintops but nobody hear me because they're all online and i can only get to so many people online yeah i'll have to check that out because i was under the the impression that it was being taught it's not it, it, you you they there are some bad things being taught you know some things that are maybe over the top but it's not critical race theory 
they they're just labeling anything they don't like critical race theory, right? That's just that's become the term. And it what, definitely is a catch-all. Yeah, I'll give you that. And and what happens is that is is I think what has happened is that you know people send their kids off to college, and then they come back for the first uh, Thanksgiving, and their kids say, "Yeah, I attended a critical race theory seminar," and blah blah blah, and so now they they hate it, you know. So that that's that's what happened. But that's the level at which you do it. It was it was created to basically explore the 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 um the degree to which um the uh, the court systems or the systems of legal justice could be influenced by racism by yeah by... i haven't even heard it in that context yeah i've well, heard it in the context that it's that the united states was obviously built on the back of slavery and that it is inherently a race-driven society that's a theory it's that's not what critical race theory is that that is a theory that's out there and and is and that a sub theory in critical it, race theory it's, it's not see the critical race theory is actually not even a theory in that sense it's 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 a an educational approach it's an approach to towards studying law and they, it's been extended to history where where it where you look at history from the point of view of saying you know how has this how have these institutions possibly been influenced by racism if so and 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 sometimes they would conclude you know i don't think those decisions or that area of law has been all that influenced by it it's just it's a frame of inquiry i mean it's it's kind of complicated even for an undergrad actually i mean it's really meant for um for law school even um ben uh, shapiro admitted that he said yeah i encountered it in in law school i didn't like it then but you know and and uh and when people ask him well yeah it, somebody even tried to quarter on it well, you know it's not taught in in the high school you're like well you know well it, it has different meaning now you know well it has different meaning now because it's been appropriated you know, like it, but it's, it really isn't that. And it got turned into this whole thing. Um, and it's, it's, and now it's like the, the rallying cry. Well, I think that partly plays into the fact that gender is being pushed in school. And so then people hear race on top of that and right. it just, it's a firestorm. Yeah. It hits the two markers that get everyone worked up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There was a, a NPR report this morning um, about a. There are two school districts in Florida, and one of them, under this, um, what is it, the woke is something law? I can't remember what. Don't. Just, it's not the don't say gay bill. No, it's the. Um, it, it's that in combination with the anti woke law. I can't remember, but one of the districts is going extreme. They are telling every teacher to take all of their books out of their classroom to be reviewed by a committee that's going to have to take all the time to go through all of the books and look at it. I mean, it's, and that, and that they have to plan out every lesson and have it approved from the beginning to end, that there's not going to be anything that's going to be taught in class uh, impromptu. You know, there's not going to be like, oh, uh, something happened in the news today. We're going to do something about that. Nothing like that. You know, it's just, um, it, it, and if you're teaching math, 
that might work because you got a definite thing you got to teach, right? But history, current event, well, we don't even have current events classes anymore. But you know, it, it's just. Uh, but you, but you want to try to if you if you want to make history engaging, you got to relate it to things that are happening. You got to be flexible that way. And it's just uh, and that that one district. Now another district is saying, no, we're not doing that. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. And and they've taken a totally different approach as to how they're going to comply. So it just, um, it, it's, um, so, but it's, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll send you the link if I find it, I'll, I'll, um, uh, send it to you because it's an interesting, uh, dichotomy as to how they're, um, ha- happening. And it's, it's a little scary. Um, uh, and maybe it all comes down to how they, how, how they read it. I mean, um, in Texas, you know, it, it goes from district to district too, as to how, uh, how they um, are interpreting their law against critical race theory. What constitutes critical race theory? Uh, is it anything that makes a, a, a white child feel bad about, about their history? Well, what does that even mean? You know, it, it is, is it, it uh, I mean, I learned some of the most harsh stuff. My parents exposed it to me, but I never felt guilty about it. I wasn't there, you know, it's just, um, so I don't know why I should. Um, well, the simple fact is you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if we take an objective look at the situation. So I, and I, I never did. And I was never taught to do that. And yeah, you know, I mean, I, I knew about the Japanese prisoner of war camp, the Japanese, uh, pardon me, not prisoner of war. They were, um, the internment camps. I learned it because, you know, there was a great movie about it. Farewell to Monsonar, uh, that I got to see as a kid that my, um, parents made sure I could see, um, you know, and I, I thought, man, that really sucked and, and, and it was bad, but I didn't order it. You know, I wasn't even around. So, you know, I just, it, it's not, it, it's not a question of that. And I don't feel uh, guilty. I do feel like, you know, the people who lost their homes should be paid for what they lost. I do feel like that, that was there, especially since there are people who are still alive who ought to be done, done that way. Reparations for, for slavery, I think is a little more complicated, but I'm all for it if it gets turned into some kind of program or something like that, 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 you know, makes up for something or some kind of symbolic thing. I, you know, I don't know how, uh, how would, would go for it, but, but that, but that I should own up to what my ancestors did. Well, I don't, you know, most, most of my family wasn't even here before the 1900. So I, I'd have to go back to the Vikings and I'm sure they did plenty of, you know, raping and pillaging that I had to feel real bad for. And I probably owe it to the poor English that they. That's what always, I always fall back on. And I don't know if I just can't understand it contextually is that the idea of slavery and of, of these conflicts has been around since human beings have been around. And I don't know if it's just the black and white aspect is closer to us historically that that's what we focus on but you have i mean caesar wiping out the celts you have these examples of people being persecuted by their belief systems by their race going back as far as our history goes back well i think in this case it's different because you've got it set patterns that still exist that you see it set them at a disadvantage yes, you could you could make that argument where it still is you still feel some of those ripple effects especially yeah. in you know buying houses in the banking systems right. yeah yeah but the idea that you are perpetrating that just because of just because you're white 
and now no, your I, ancestors. I think, like, I, how I, does that track? I think the idea, and this is where it gets mistranslated, is that I benefit from it. Is that, you know, I benefit from, from that. And so I ought to be working to change that, even though it might make, th- you know, maybe I won't benefit as much in the next generation or something, you know, I mean, ju- just the same way. And I, I do believe there is implicit bias. I, I think it's overstated, but I do believe that, that it's there. And I'll give you an example in my own life. I, um, I, was uh, went to work for UPS uh, when I was in college, uh, a, a loader, and um, there were 15 positions open uh, for loading trucks, and uh, I would say <clears throat> there were about 40 to 50 somewhere applicants, and most of them were black, Latino, or Filipino, and there were six of us who were white, um, and we had um, interviews and I got there for my interview was supposed to be at four 30. I remember this very clearly. And I was waiting in there and, and, and the gentleman before me was African-American. His interview had started at four and he came out, he, he looked rattled and he came out and they were done at like about four forty, maybe four between four forty and four forty five, And, uh, and I thought I was going to be in there for longer. I thought maybe everything was being backed up because of longer stuff. I, I was done in no time. I mean, they asked me some questions. Uh, the longest time that was spent was I told them, you see Santa Cruz. I didn't know how to street address because it was just everything was just sent you know, with the post office. And he says, no, they have to have a street address. And so he had people call, making calls, wasting that time. But they, they asked me a little bit about my background and the rest like that. And, and, and uh, I was pretty sure I was hired after that. When we got, so I had much less of an interview. Now, I don't know what, maybe there were certain things about the guy, you know, that he was trying and trying to give him a chance. I don't know. that That's anecdotal. That's not evidence. But the interesting thing was, was that when it was done, of the 15 people who were hired, all six white people. Now, that's quite a, if, if that's a statistical anomaly, that all six of us would be qualified to load trucks. What it is, is they want people they can trust. They don't want people who are going to steal stuff that they, you know, fall out, you know, try to throw stuff over the fence. That's really what they're really, you know, key about. I think this guy had implicit bias. I don't think he purposely discriminated. I don't think he said, oh, white person, I'm going to hire that person. I think he genuinely felt like he was really good at sensing things out in a person and probably because, you know, just looked at me smiling from the suburbs Pacifica and, and felt, yeah, this kid can do it. Yeah. This kid's going to not going to, is least likely to do anything dishonest than the rest based on all of his, you know, based on his perceptions, probably believing that he was being fair, but statistically, uh, I tried to even do it later in a polynomial fashion. The chances of six random, if it was purely random, um, pretty low. Like something like one in 200 or something Yeah, like but that. if it wasn't random, if he was looking at <coughs> records or employment history or these outside things, I what I always wonder is how much... Because there's... Oh, continue. No, no, just if you're right, then the bias wasn't his implicit bias, but the systemic bias by the fact that my background as a white person and, and, and all of the opportunities I had um, gave me the advantage. But was he checking resumes or looking at anything? He checked mine. So, I mean, if you are looking at other people's resumes and finding things on there. Right. Right. I, 
don't get me wrong, racism is definitely prevalent. That is right. a real, yeah. real thing. But I, I always wonder how much people are interpreting something that might not be there I, to I, some extent, I, right? Because that is anecdotal to in in the sense that you you don't have anything to back up that there was I can't a prove bias. It. Yeah. I can't prove. It. I'm not absolutely certain, and it may be that that you know the six white people were. Uh, of the fifteen, of the fifteen most qualified, but it's you know, but but if you look at it statistically, I did the calculation. I mean, it's like a one in two hundred chance of that when you put everything together, randomly. Just speaking. picking random. Yeah, just picking random. But if but, you were an employer, you wouldn't just pick random. No, you would look at their qualifications. So either or, and you get a feeling from them during the interviews. So if it wasn't, let's exclude it and say it was based on our backgrounds, then at the very least. The opportunities we had gave us the advantage because that's what's on it reflected on our resume, you know, the, our ability to, to show ourselves. So that also is a little bit uh, of a background because our backgrounds are what gives us those opportunities that I could I could I had all these other things that I could put on my resume and also the the educational opportunity and, you know, the the the, the way I was raised and 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 having parents and who valued education and their economic. Rest, all of that to to be able to present myself in a certain way and on my resume. So you know that the, those are all definite advantages too. If it was you know if there wasn't there, so whether or not it was his perception uh, of racism or whether or not it was just the racism of the system it, uh, or the uh, or, or the inherent. The point is is that I my being white gave me a definite advantage in that. In, in that thing. Now you might say, okay, it was also my socioeconomic class. Maybe if I was working class white coming, you know, out of um, one of the Southern states or something, I wouldn't have been hired. That is something I need to work on because, and I'm going to say this without having really given it a lot of thought, but mm -hmm. I feel as though a lot of the racism is just socioeconomic status that really we're all unified depending on your economic status. Right. In poverty, we're all the same. Skin color doesn't matter. If you're black, if you're white, it doesn't matter if you're poor because we're all, you're just poor. Right. You're a black person that is poor is the exact same as a white person that's poor. You have more in common amongst those two than someone that is sure. of a higher economic status. And, and, and other than black people are disproportionately poor in terms of numbers. But sure, if you were to, to look at it that way. And in fact, if you look at... Um, the figures for people who are shot by police, right? Okay, now one of the things that a lot of conservatives like to say is, um, well, more white men are shot than black men. That's true, but but you're turn you're making it an arithmetic issue and not an algebra issue. More sure, um, I, I think um, thirty percent of the people that are shot are black men, but they're only thirteen percent of the men, right? So disproportionately, they're shot more. And the interesting thing is, is the group that shot least proportionate are Asian men, less than white men. Um, Latino and um, and white men are approximately equal. Maybe it's Latino tend to be slightly more, um, and the rest. But uh, they nobody's done the numbers specifically. But there was an attempt to try to look into socioeconomic, and somebody pointed out if you're upper middle class, you have almost no no chance of being shot, no matter what your color is. Well, exactly right. Yeah. If you're of a lower class, you're probably not in a great area. There's right. probably more violence. There's probably more more opportunities to get entwined with a gang. Your manners aren't necessarily the same. 
Yeah. Is somebody you're you haven't more, been your ethics the same might way. not be the same because you're yeah. just trying to get by. So right. if you have to steal to get by, you're going to steal. The police you have have had worst experience. Than you're going to have more run-ins with yeah. the police. Right. Well, and, and not only that, the police that you encounter have had more run-ins that maybe have them on more on edge than. Maybe more violent yeah. encounters. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, a lot of those things are, are, are factors in it. Um, it's just, it seems to me that people are always so quick to jump to race or gender. Gender is pretty prominent too. I was talking to a girl and she was talking about this employment opportunity that she had at a lumber yard and they didn't pick her, but they picked her brother. Right. And she was like, it was sexist. And I was like, yeah, but it kind of would make sense because your brother is a bigger guy. I know both of them. Your brother sure. is a bigger guy. He can lift more. That's a laborious job. I'm going to pick, if you have a girl that's just shredded six, two built sure. like an ox and a guy who's five, four, and is, pick, yeah. I would pick the girl. Right. It's just, and it sucks maybe, but right. if it was a bona fide qualification, yeah, you need yeah. someone that can do the job. Yeah. And that's, again, I don't know. Maybe it was, but sexist, maybe they but didn't give her a chance to show that she could do this. Maybe. Yeah. But that, they, yeah. The inclination is always to jump. I didn't yeah. get this because I'm this, because right. I have this, because I look like this. It, it could be, but it also could, it, it might not be that she, that was the only thing that made her jump to the conclusion. It could have also just been the attitude that she felt. So she yeah. did. Yeah. I, I use her as an example because yeah. she didn't really have anything other than she was a girl. There was okay, no inclination. Right. Of, well, that, yeah. Who knows? You know, you but that, know. it's, it's just weird that we, and it's, a, it's just us as people, we always jump to. It was something that was out of my control. That's why I didn't get this thing. And sometimes it definitely is. Right. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's a factor. It may not be the controlling factor, but sometimes it's a factor. And, you know, we all want to have a society where, where, you know, it's, it's not going to be a factor, right? But, you know, and it may never come where it's never a totally factor. But then, as, as somebody said, we'll find new ways to, you know, discriminate against each other. We'll find new bigotries to have, you know. Yeah, just I, that checks out. <laughs> I mean, it's just, um, but, um, I mean, it, you know, certainly um, it, it, the, um, you, you know, you, you want to feel like you had the chance and you want to have a society that's open to everything. A lot of people also judge it like, well, I'm not going to be happy until half the car mechanics are women, right? But maybe there aren't that many women that are actually interested. Maybe, But you want to have room for the one in seven people who want to be car mechanics who are women, right? So well, you, that's, that's yeah. another thing, right? People yeah. always point to, oh, the c- CEOs are usually a majority male. Right. Well... Construction workers are also Majority mainly male. male. Yeah. yeah, people that work on roads, people that pick up trash. It's like, should we make those more equitable? Should we mandate a fifty percent break it, in women? It, it it just depends. The, uh, some of the complaints of the CAOs do come from some very specific complaints about the dynamics. So, other than as opposed to the, the other things, they do they do actually. There are women with some very specific ways of saying, "I was shut out of that meeting. I was uh, I was denied this opportunity and the rest." And they can actually point to it, and that's why they win lawsuits. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I I 100% agree with that. But that's all. That's never the example, right? It's never, right. oh, there aren't enough women in these laborious jobs. It's always, oh, there aren't enough women in well, these Well, yeah. I mean, well, you do, you, you do hear about it. Why aren't there more, uh, uh, you know, women car mechanics? But I've never are, heard that But there life. are more 
car mechanic, more women car mechanics now than there were 50 years ago because there is more permission for them to be so. There still is discouragement of it, um, you know, it, 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 but, you know, but then sometimes there's discouragement of uh, men of men from being it too, you know, because hey, you don't want to do that, right? You know, That's also a, almost another economic status thing yeah. where, yeah. oh, you don't want to do that job because it's, it's beneath you. Should yeah. do something a little more. You should be a lawyer, right? You should yeah. be a doctor. Well, I, I mean, the joke in my family is the reason I went to law school is because I make a lousy carpenter. Almost every other male in my family swings a hammer for a living, and they make good money as contractors. But it's just, uh, it. it uh, but yeah, that is the, the kind of joke. Almost the flip for you, yeah. It, it is. It's um. It's you know. It's 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 real kind of funny. But you know, I just. I got, I was bored. I couldn't stand it. You know, so I did it for a while. I, kind of, I, I like it. I miss the smell of the wood and everything, but you know, that's what ev everybody else was doing. But I, I got into other things and that was, uh, um, good. But I, I daydreamed too much. That was what my cousin told me. How did you, where did the fascination with history come in? Was that through pursuing reading. law? Just reading. reading. When I was a kid, um, got into, um, oh God. I think I was watching things on television about history and I just got into reading about it. And then there were his, historical stories. I mean, to, to me, one of the, the most fascinating stories to me when I was a kid was Sounder. Have you ever heard of that book? It's about um, a um, Af African-American family during the Depression um, trying to get a school built, actually African-American community trying to get a school built for black children um, and, and the the troubles that they were going through doing the sounder was the name of the dog family dog but the story that was going on around him just an incredible story and i ended up going and reading the book after i saw the movie kind of reverse and was just i mean um and then then when i was in the sixth grade the story roots came out um alex haley which was his a bit fictitious, but his family um, roots tracing all the way back to um, West Africa, where his uh, fam his um, uh, ancestor Kunta Kinte had had come across, and then it goes from generation to generation, right up to Alex Haley. He helped Malcolm X write the autobiography, um, and um, the um, <clears throat> so um, the and. And I was fascinated with that. I got fascinated with World War II. Um, you know, the, I got fascinated with um, uh, the Civil War, the battle between the Madel, Mer, the Monitor and the Merrimack. And I, I couldn't figure out, find out who won. I kept trying to go through all the books, who won, and found out that it was inconclusive. That was two, uh, the two of the first two metal ships that were sh shooting at each other, and they they just shot each other for like a half hour before they gave up and went home. Um, it was just in, in the river, but, um, the, um, the, um, you know, and, and I just, I, it just, I don't know, it kept drawing me and it was, and I, it, it made me, I always kind of felt like, you know, well, these were the people like my grandmother and, and my grandfather, uh, were telling me about, well, my step-grandfather, uh, you know, telling me about their lives. I don't know. I just got fascinated with it. And then there was a series, I think also, here's something else to consider watching. World at War, I think, is the best documentary history series ever made. I mean, I, I love all the stuff that um, 
oh, the the guy does the the PBS documentaries about jazz and baseball and all that stuff. But this one was made in the late 60s when they were interviewing people who were just kind of getting over being shell-shocked and just before they were sliding into old age. So perfect memories of it with great footage. It was a social history of the war done in Britain uh, about, I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 30 episodes. And I was transfixed in, in the fourth and fifth grade watching it through the whole thing. And it was fascinating because it doesn't focus. I mean, there's fighting in it. You see footage of it, but it was focused on the impacts on the society of the war of, you know, how ordinary people were trying to survive through these cataclysms in Russia and in, in China and, in the, the, you know, in, on the islands and the rest and, and, and the impacts in the, in the, permanent impacts on it and uh and that's also where i was exposed to the holocaust i was just like blown away by it um and um and, and the, by that episode that was my first real i'd heard about it but that was where i first saw it and i'm just like oh man and uh and so yeah i just um and then there were some movies that took place in history that i really got into and um yeah, by the time I, and I didn't really like the way history was being taught at school. I was kind of bored with it. And then, and then I got annoyed with my father because my father was always concerned with how I was being taught it wrong. Right. You know, he's one of these left-wing parents that was worried that my teacher's going to, you know, um, teach me the wrong way. And, you know, it's like, and so he would be correcting stuff, you know, about, uh, this stuff. And I'm like, dad, is this going to be on my test? And he said, well, no, it's not. And it's like, then I don't need to know it. Do I, you know, it's just like, he, he, he always thought I was going to be apolitical. My kid's going to be apolitical. Well, he's, he turned out wrong. About yeah. That. Right. <laughs> just, I'll have to look into that. That sounds fascinating. Uh, world at war is an excellent series. Um, it's, um, yeah, it, it, I think it may even be available in the library. I'm not sure, but, um, it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there, there was, I, I stayed up. My parents would actually let me stay up later than normal. I was supposed to be in bed at nine o'clock on Sunday night. Cause it was, but when this came on, I was allowed to stay up till, till 10 and, uh, and, and I just, I, I would not miss it. I was just like, and, and there's a whole music to the beginning of it that just was like, I hear it now and just like resonates with captured you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and just the whole opening, there's an opening sequence that talks about, you know, the initial invasion of France where these soldiers came in and they killed everybody in this town. And within a few weeks, all of those soldiers would be dead. Every, you know, single one of them. And then, and the soldiers that killed those soldiers would be dead. And it was just like, and, and it was a poetic opening to, as to, you know, what this war really was. It was not a glorification of it at all. I mean, it just really was, uh, um, you know, uh, a, a, a reality type of thing. It was There was no, no, no rah-rah going. And, uh, and really the, um, you know, you, you kind of, you, you look at Stalin and you say, you know, I mean, he was horrible, one of the most horrible people ever. But you got to respect his courage, um, you know, because that was the thing I noticed there. His advisors and military people wanted to slip him out of Moscow um, when he was um, when when the Germans were like within eyesight out in range. And he said and he um, 
no, he said he he said that we we've got to make the stand here, um, and he had also called in Siberian troops, taking a huge chance that J- Japan was going to attack from that side. They didn't, luckily, but he they they were the crack troops for the snow, and, and this and winter was already coming down and really hit the Germans hard. But they, they had no idea that was going to work, and he and made himself visible for the troops to see, to know that he was still there. Um, and not sneaking away somewhere to somewhere safe where he could rule from afar. I mean, whatever else you want to say about him, you know, murdered or, or whether he personally murdered him or just was responsible for this process that killed 7 million people in a couple of years. Um, he put, put his own line there. Cause if he, if the city had fallen, he would have been dead, you know, and just like, and so it's sort of like, God, how, you know, you look at that and it's like, yeah, people are complicated. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, you know, did he, he must've really believed in what he was doing. You know, it's just like, it wasn't just a cynical power thing. And it's like, do, do I, do I like him? Do I not? Do I, you know I mean? It's like, what do you make of those new, these new age groups that really like Stalin and promote you know, socialism, they promote communism? Get, they do you think they just don't understand? It. They don't understand. They don't, they, they don't believe it. They think it was, they think Khrushchev was, was a CIA plant, which is impossible. Um, there's a real funny kind of dark, funny movie out called death of Stalin. Um, where, uh, God, I forget the name of the actor plays, uh, um, Khrushchev uh, tried to come to power with everybody in the power vacuum, but um, but no, it was it no, it was the, the, he it, it was brutal and um, and you, you might have heard the term tanky, okay, well that's being used a lot for, to people who hearing left wingers who support Putin right now in in the Ukraine. There's a, a debate within the left uh, because there's some people who either support Putin or. Or or more critical of the United States than they are. Putin blamed NATO for for the invasion, and I'm not saying NATO isn't at fault. I'm, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. There are some things that probably you know could have been done better all the way around. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, but the but the term tanky comes from um, a time when in the 1950s when in Hungary. Soviet tanks went into Hungary to put down a uh, a um, protest there against the regime, and then in the 1960s, I talked about the um, convention. A lot of demonstrations were happening all over the world of new left demonstrations. Czechoslovakia, they had a new left there in Prague, and tanks were sent in to shut them down. As brutal as it was in Chicago, it was nowhere near what as brutal as it was in. Um, in in um in prague and uh and you always found the leftists that were saying well it was justified sending in the tanks was justified so when you hear if you're online you you hear you hear one left winger saying oh here come the tankies again that's what they're talking about is people who will justify um russia or the soviet union um doing being repressed so they just don't understand the they real, don't understand the real the extent of what happened out there they don't they don't they think I, you mentioned the peace and freedom party and there's a chapter here locally i tried yeah. to i tried to get a couple of them on but their view i mean they <clears throat> were touting maoist china because the the um there there is a group called the um the peace and justice something i can't remember they're they they're a break off from the workers world party which originally was 
Uh, Trotsky's party the split off from the Socialist Workers Party. If you ever see the life of Brian, um, the Monty Python movie, uh, you'll hear about them talking about the People's Front of Judea. No, we're the front of People's Judean Front, and the People's Front of Judean are fighting the 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 Judean Front of the people, and and all of these groups fighting each other. Well, you've got you know the 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 you know the Workers World Party, the party you know the Socialist Workers Party, the Communist Workers Party. You got all these different groups uh, fighting each other and splitting off from each other, and they cut and they'll yell at each other, call themselves spl splinters. Um, and um, and the um, the the um, anyways. Um, so from the Socialist Workers Party, which was I was in, which was the Trotsky original Trotskyist split off from the Communist Party, came the Workers World Party or the Marcyites, led by a guy named Marcy, who didn't like the fact that the Socialist Workers Party was supporting um, the Hungarian Revolution as the Trotskyist Revolution against Stalin. Uh, they believed that it was. Um, I might even have them reversed. I'm not sure. But one of them said they supported opposite sides. Um, and then that guy came in and um, and, it, and and that group existed until the late 90s and it split into it. And the people's the, – the Party for Liberation and Justice, I think that's what it's called. The Party for Liberation and Socialism has kind of taken over the local Peace and Freedom Party chapter. Um, and that's them, and that's their group. And so they're a little more radical. They're a little more radical. Peace and Freedom Party it was a lot different back then. It ran. It was going, but it already it got into trouble right away. Um, it was going to run. Um, oh God, what was the name of the black comedian? I'm forgetting his name. I'm, he, he he joked about February. Of course, they're going to give us that month. It's, Not Dave Chappelle again. No, no. We're talking about back in 1968. Oh. <clears throat> um, he was, they were going to run him as president. He was, he'd been a civil rights activist, but he was older and more of the Martin Luther King, um, set than the more radical set. And in California, unlike the other states where the Peace and Freedom Party was forming, there, there was a group that came in and said, you know, we're, we're the black contingent and you white people chose him. Um, and, uh, and we want Eldridge Cleaver. Problem was, was Eldridge Cleaver wasn't 35 yet, so they wouldn't even he didn't even get to be on the ballot, even though he was nominated. Well, those are white man's rules, right? I mean, this is how dumb it gets, and uh, and the rest. So that was the first time. So they had a, somebody on for vice president, a woman I don't remember her name, and the rest. The second time they ran a candidate, it was Dr. Benjamin Spock, uh, was um, guy who wrote a book about child rearing, and uh, anyway, um, and then, it, and it was, and they would get like, you know, three or four percent of the vote. They were the left alternative party. You would vote if you wanted to cast a protest vote because you thought the Democratic Party candidate was getting too conservative or wishy-washy or whatever. So, um, so you, um, so that went into the eighties. I actually voted, um, for a, a few of them for a while. And this, this was before the green party came along and now they're kind of contesting as, which is going to be the left party in town, left sheriff in town. And, uh, and, but it became a battleground for, as, as to which sectarian group was going to control it. Communist party wanted to, there was some other group that was going to, now it seems like that particular group, 
uh, wants to have it because there's really not a lot of people involved in it. And if there's a vacuum like that, then they're going to be able to kind of take it. But that doesn't mean the party itself stands for it. Mm-hmm. it you know, but uh, my parents were involved in that formation. They saw what was happening. And uh, by 1972, they voted for McGovern. They weren't part of it anymore. Um, and, uh, and, and so it was just, um, so yeah, there's, there's a history there and we're the, and this is the only state with, with that party. We're also the only state with Wallace's party in it, the American independent party. Uh, I don't think I've heard of that party. It's a conservative party, very conservative party. And that got taken over by what's called the John Birch society, which is an anti-communist group that started in the cold war. Uh, John Birch, they consider to be the first victim of the cold war. He was a missionary that got shot in china here's the real question do you think with all this political strife going on and yeah. the division and the extremism in these two parties that we might actually have a shot of a third party gaining some prominence we don't have this we don't have the setup for it here see in other countries you've got the parliamentary system where it's not winner takes all if you get a certain amount of votes then you get representation in the parliament and you can build on it and if neither of the other side has a majority you can actually wheel and deal and say hey um okay we'll we'll join votes and 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 we'll we'll take your we'll make your candidate prime minister but we want we want, uh, you know, this, this, and this uh, in return for that. I mean, and you can build on it. Uh, we don't have that here. It's winner take all. What about just an independent candidate? We've had him. Um, a guy named Ross Perot tried it in um, in 1992. Got a lot of votes. Even got more than Bill Clinton in Utah. Um, but just wasn't enough. Um, and and people are always worried about splitting a vote when you got. You know, the other side, especially with with Trump. That's the big thing right now with Biden is people are worried <coughs> if he wants to run again, who's going to run I'm, in the party? I'm guessing he's not going to run again. I'm guessing, th- I could see him running again. I don't know. If he's still breathing. I, I think he I, I think he intended to be a one-term president. I think he intended he wanted to get certain things done in that time. Um, but I don't know. That might, I could be wrong. But 88, you know. That's, he said he's going to run again. Yeah, but he has to. You can't. You don't. If you say if you say you're not going to run again, then you become a, not just a lame duck, but a den duck president. I mean, it's uh, you you got you have you, to keep the fire. You got to keep it going. You got to keep it going. So whether or not he actually does run again, he's going to say he's running again, no matter what. But uh, but who would do it? I, Kamala Harris is not shining at all uh, that's an understatement yeah it's not so so then who is it well gavin newsom looks like he's pumping to to god look. i hope he d- i i hope that people do not vote for him he's he is i mean he squeaked out the running for governor because the candidates were just so poor they, they were so bad but 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 the real mistake was the recall they, whenever they, whenever you try to do a recall against somebody, they come out smelling like a rose, and they did, and it was just and well. In the primary recall candidate, who was that? He was a radio guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. I, come on. Yeah. That's <laughs> the only guy we can find in the state yeah, to run. No, yeah, no. Well, and, and no, it, it's real. No, it, it's hard. And um, yeah, but he's the shining guy. And right now, California is like got surpluses and all this kind of stuff meanwhile it's falling apart at the seams um yeah except for all the money people are making you know it's just like but yeah you're right it's uh we've got a homeless problem now granted we do tend to get everybody else's homeless coming here but still it's it it, it, we've got these problems we've got uh, i mean crime is just 
through uh, the roof. And, and, and people are leaving because they can't afford the rent or, or to buy a house. So it's just, um, it, 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 it is real hard, um, to, 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 to deal with, but you know, I, but, and, and then there, there is always the question, what can a governor do about that? Right. You know, I mean, what can even a legislature do about that? There are certain things they could do, but it's, um, you know, this is, I, I mean, what do you do about the homeless? Right. I mean, I had a guy on actually the other day, John, and we were talking about John Shelter, John Shelter. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He was fantastic. He's got some ideas. He's got some ideas that sound like they're working. Uh, are they like local? Ideas? Yeah, he's implementing. He's got a crew. They go around. They get oh, contracted yeah. out to go. No, clean he up stuff. he does some good things, but I do think that there needs to be a national policy. Oh yeah, you're not going to solve. I yeah. mean, unfortunately, because he's out here right putting up a fight, but you're not going to solve it with just one no, guy. No, because if we start solving it, then people are going to come here, right? Oh God, they they got him off the street. Well, and if you start solving it. What happens to the money? What right. happens to the cash flow and yeah. the people that are banking on that? No, it's it's got to be there, – there really needs to be a national task force that looks at it in terms of – as, as a, um, a, you know, in, a, joining all different kinds of policies together. First of all, you got to look at the endless wars. I mean, uh, the homelessness the last time it was like this was the 1980s, and, and they said that half of the homeless people were Vietnam War veterans. Um, you know, so we got to look at, at that factor, but also the, just the drugs, how strong they are these days. Um, and the, um, you know, and, and, and what do we do about that? Um, and what do you do about homeless? I mean, it's, you know, you, you can't just throw them in jail. You can't, you know, you can't, but you can't just let them camp and trash. So what do you do? That's the problem. What do you do? I mean, it's just, and who wants to actually do it's anything? It's real hard, but it's gotta be a. It's got to be a regional to national policy, but nobody talks about it on the national level. Nobody, nobody in their presidential get running for president says, I want to take care of the homeless problem by doing this. Now, why don't they have so many homeless people in Europe? And I asked about that. Um, and, well... It's a it, it's a little bit of an issue because one of the things they have in Europe that we don't have here is um, we can only commit people if they are danger to themselves or others, physical danger to themselves or others. But in Europe, you know, the, the constitutional rights are a little bit different there. Um, they can do it in most of Europe. They can do it if it looks like they are not able to be functional on their own. And that's tricky because that's really how do you define the slippery that? line? That's a very slippery line, but to a certain degree, that you know, and and you and you get people in there, and they get treatment. They they are dragged, kicking and screaming, and then but then they get the treatment and say, "Oh yeah, I'm glad that happened to me." But that makes me think in terms of, "Oh God, you gave them drugs and they're happy." Haven't we seen science fiction movies about that? You know, where they you, we've altered their mind and all of a sudden they're you know they're happy. I mean, it's just um, so it's like you know, do we there there are there is a solution apparently, but. Do we want to go there, you know? And, and where does it go from and there? And where does it go, you know? And and um, and and how you know far is it? I mean, so um, so we need to explore that. But I don't know. But also maybe now the science is more together where we can be more precise about some of those things. I don't know, you know. I'm just not, or or maybe we can get to that point. I just, but that's it's scary, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's scary because. It sounds so great in theory, and if it just stopped there, 
It would be perfect. But, but, but it how never do you, does. But yeah, what does it mean? Yeah. To, what does it mean to be functional? I mean, you know, and, and, and you want to get it ahead of time, uh, you know, because at a certain point it could be too late, right? So you got to get it early on. And how do you detect it? What are the signs? What is Start watching people. I know. Everything just, they do Exactly. All the time. If they start, you know, I mean, it's just, um, but they do not have as many. They do have some homeless people in, in, in Europe, but nothing like us, you know. And, uh, and yeah, we have a lot of the same problems, but. But, you know, I don't know. So. Different uh, world. Uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, but but will we, we can do that, but do we give up a little bit of our national soul in doing it? I don't know, you know, or, or, or more than that. I mean, so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Giving up a freedom is, is yeah. dangerous dangerous thing yeah it is so uh unfortunately we're, we gotta we're we gotta going yeah, we've gone on forever it's already we? eight o'clock oh my god i know it's <laughs> a time warp in here do you want to plug where people can find you where they can find redwood wonk sure um well yeah, redwood wonk um you can find on youtube if you want to see just uh, just plug in access humboldt redwood wonk um you can also find us on uh, go to the access humboldt uh, google I, I forget exactly what it is but i th- think it's access humboldt uh, dot uh, org but i'm not absolutely sure of that but you can also google it and find it there and we're also 96.7 kzzh on the radio you can also find me on on kmud um 88.1 from up here or 90 um uh eight point pardon me uh, god my brain's going uh you look up k it's out it's out there but i'm on on both of those and um and look forward to hearing uh from you and anybody want to talk to me about any of those things you know how to reach me either at work or um or through any either of those entities i love uh, meeting people in coffee houses and talking about this stuff all the time all right well eric i had that was a blast man i had a hell of a lot of fun thanks nick yeah thanks for coming on all right